0: I got really excited when I bought a you know, mechanical keyboard, and I'm really loving it. It's this weird um, Korean, I guess they call it a 60% keyboard, so it's got no function row, um, but it's super small, and it's very clicky, and I really like it. And I thought, aha, now I can get rid of this other keyboard. And I realized I have to keep the other keyboard like within arm's reach, because I can't what kind type of, what brand, and talk.
1: What brand keyboard is it?
0: It's a Leopold. Semios- you get them on eBay. Really? You can't yeah. buy them direct? Are they like used or? No, they're all they're all new. Um, That's just how they sell. Yeah, and they've got them in different. Um, they got them in different uh, like uh, mechanisms. There are a couple different mechanisms of you know like the the different key switches. Mm-hmm. Mine is a like a cherry blue, but um, I'll send you a link.
1: I got them. I got it here. Mechanicalkeyboards.com. Yes. dot com.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's the FC six sixty M is the one that I've got, and I love it because it's so tiny, and it's it's really enjoyably uh, clicky. I got the Matias um, small keyboard too, and it's not bad, but it's it's way bigger. Like the whole thing, it's got it's got another. Uh, Row of keys and it's got the only problem with this one is you got to map some of the keys because it's missing (laughs) it's missing a few keys but the but the arrow keys are like properly oriented as arrows and um and it's nice and clicky and then I started buying keycaps so so you got
1: blue cherry wait what do you mean keycaps do they does this company sell the official ones
0: uh no so I I ended up on eBay there are a few places including um I ended up with uh oh what is it the the people that make the code keyboard. Um, they have, uh, they have a whole, uh, like they have a, like a keycap, uh, sh- shop where <laughs> you can order custom keycaps. Cause the one I got came with like black keycaps and they were sort of windows keys. And I ended up spending probably way too much money on some like orange custom keycaps. Um, which was kind of cool. I blame Josh, uh, Topolsky. He posted a couple of, uh, Pictures of, of of this model keyboard that he's built, and I I said mm, that's really interesting, and that was then I was I was kind of ruined, but but it's terrible for podcasting because the clicks the clicks are very loud.
1: <laughs> there's the one that this picture I'm looking at of this keyboard the, on the left side at the bottom bottom left corner. There's a control key, and then there's <laughs> there's like a keyboard key. It's a picture that has a what is that?
0: Yeah, I think that's the um operating system key, so that's like your your uh, command key or your windows key. Oh, it's like the windows um, key and it can't use the then, windows logo. And then I mapped, yeah, I mapped it all to uh to uh, Mac, so I actually flipped the keys around so that's my option key.
1: So what does cherry blue feel like? I this is the thing that confuses me and I I have I have a collection of Apple extended twos and I've using right. I'm using my third one of my lifetime right now. Um Including one, I forget who sent me the one that was that's mint. I still have one. I have one that is literally like sealed, mint in the in the box, which I'm saving, Mm. you know. And the one that I'm using now was like truly near mint when I started using it. Um, I've tried other mechanical keyboards, but I've never found one that I really like, and and it doesn't have the same feel. And I get so confused by this the different switches, and and it's it's very confusing to me.
0: Honestly, when I uh, was shopping for this, I went to Matthias's website, and they have a, uh, they have audio clips of a few different key uh, mechanical key switches that you can actually sort of listen to the sound of them being made, like just typing. And I listened to that for a while, and uh, and I thought that that. The cherry blue sort of sounded like I want, like I kind of wanted it, and it's not all sound, right? It's it's like it's like taste. It's it's uh, eat, when you eat something, you you're tasting it, but you're also smelling it, and those two things go together. Keyboards is like that. It's it's the feel, and it's the sound, and they go together. Um, and uh, like I said, I ended up with the Matthias one, uh, which is supposed to be more like the Apple Extended, um, I think, and then and I got this one, which is the cherry blue, and I like the cherry blue better i I mean the matias is fine i like it it's uh it's a little more um of what i'm what my at least my sense memory of those old apple keyboards was which is a a little more kind of like clunk 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 Hmm. and this is a little more clicky like high high high-pitched clicky clicky, click 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 i gotcha Um, i gotcha
1: i say i think i don't like that so yours is maybe a little bit more like the ibm style I know I, that the I, IBM I Buckling know. Spring is different. The, the Buckling Spring ones yeah, that, are different.
0: Yeah, like Rich Siegel uses, uses that style, I believe. And he's like, that's, it. you know, it's sort of whatever mechanical keyboard you grew up with, I think is the one you end up gravitating toward. Um, I wish there was a place. I'm sure there is. I'm sure like keyboard people get together and have little key parties where they, <laughs> where they type on the different mechanisms and you can really get a sense of it. Um, but I'm just sort of slowly uh slowly learning about about the different different ones but i've been you know i've been happy with it it's been i i i didn't use a mechanical keyboard for a long time i was just sort of using um analogs of the of the macbook keyboard yeah. because i i you know was using a macbook as a primary system so i kind of wanted my my keyboards to all match in feel as much as possible but now that i'm sitting in an imac for a lot of the day i thought why don't i give it a try and i've been pretty happy with it it is it's good that I'm working in a in a closed office with nobody in it because it would drive everybody else crazy if, yeah. I, if they could if, hear me typing. If
1: if the cher- if the blue cherry switches are what I think that they're like, I th- the more clicky than thunky. Then that's actually to me, it's more. That's maybe it's just my ears, but it's a it's louder or more prominent.
0: Yeah, I, I think it might. I think it might be. Um, it depends on what frequencies you're tuned into. But but uh, I do enjoy going back to the to, to having that tactile feedback as much as I um, loved uh, the MacBook keyboard style. I totally get now that I've been back on a mechanical keyboard for a while. I totally get why people criticize them for feeling mushy. I get what that means now.
1: So there's blue cherry and brown cherry.
0: Yeah, there's multiple different kind of carry and red cherry. cherry switches. yeah, Christ. yeah, I know, and I have no idea. I am not. Uh, I'm not an expert. I just kind of took is, a shot in the dark on it's one of them.
1: Truly, where shopping on the internet is the worst. Like it's, this is yeah. the sort of thing where like in the old Unless days you want to buy
0: 10 keyboards. <laughs> I know. And yeah. I, I and I
1: hate sending stuff back. I, it's just like and it's irrational. It makes no logical sense whatsoever that I would rather just have a $110 keyboard that I'd put in a closet and never use, but I just hate sending stuff back. I
0: don't I just yeah. don't like
1: it. But I guess I just sent a
0: keyboard did. back. And I didn't love it, but I it, it was I tried that uh, mechanical keyboard for the iPad, the Razer, um, and it just wasn't that good. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I did go through the rigmarole of sending that back because that was a pretty pricey thing. But I hate doing it too, and so you end up uh, a lot of times not buying things because it's just like it's too complicated. I don't know what to pick, and so I'll just kind of give it up. But I took a shot in the dark w- with this one, and I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Is it the best keyboard for me? Maybe not. There may be some other one out there that's totally, you know, one I would prefer to this, but uh, I I haven't gone and, and, and bought five different keyboards yet.
1: Anyway. I, I have also, I have bought um, some, I think at least two keyboards from Matthias over the years and specifically billed by Matthias as being for aficionados of the Apple Extended Keyboard too. And I have to say that I didn't even think it was close. It it. I, for whatever reason, the Matthias ones don't appeal to me. I'm so picky about these keyboards that I don't even like some Apple Extended Keyboard 2s, even it, ones that are seemingly in good condition, that, that there's mm. variance between them that I I detect that it's some of them... Right. I, I, it's like... A, like the one that I had from college, and <laughs> I think I've told this story before. I loved this keyboard. I should see... I, I, I Somebody once said that they could fix it. Somebody who knows how to solder could probably fix it. It's the E key that broke, which is probably because it's the one I type the most, right? It makes sense. Sure. Um, my sophomore year of college, I was playing uh, John Madden football in the dorms. And there was, uh, let's see, it was, so it would have been like Madden 92. And I was uh, always the Houston Oilers with, um, uh, who was the great quarterback that the Houston Oilers? Warren Moon? Yes, Warren Moon. Warren Moon with a cannon of an arm. I mean, like, it was like on a skit, like, the, the stats were like up to 15. It was like 15 distance, 15, 15 arm strength, 15 accuracy. And uh, this other kid, I think his name is Jeff, who always played with the Philadelphia Eagles, the Buddy Ryan Eagles. Uh, so it was me with my pass happy uh, long bombs and him with these like bone crushing uh, defensive guys. And we had a great rivalry, and one time we bet I think I bet uh fifty bucks cash up against his apple extended keyboard too because I had a mac l c which came with the real shit keyboard. I don't even know what it was small and mushy, and yeah. he got the mac s e thirty which came with the uh extended keyboard too, so the deal was it was winner takes all one game of Madden football where if I won, I got his keyboard, and I'd give him my crappy one so he'd you know have a keyboard. And I think I think I put up fifty bucks cash, which I knew was a good deal because they sold for like one hundred eighty dollars to get one new. Uh, and I won the game, and that's where I got my keyboard. And it was oh. the best one I've ever used. I still feel like I still take it out of the closet sometimes and type on it, and I still feel like you know this other than that E key that's busted, it still feels better. I should find somebody who can just fix that e key for me.
0: You should, and there may be a keyboard out there that that is a closer match for what you're looking for than the Matthias. I don't know. Yeah, w it's W A S D keyboards is where I got my keycaps, and they sell. I think they make the Code keyboard, and they sell yeah. um, they sell mechanical keyboards, and it's like literally choose your size and choose which switch type. But again, you know, you can't reach through the screen and feel how the. The keys they have audio files, I think, and like I said, Matthias does too. But it's not quite the same because that's only one. The sound is part of it, and the the feeling is part of it.
1: Um, the only the only reason I don't go, I never do like a real deep dive and try to find a new keyboard is it once I try it, and I do have a couple, and I've spent probably I don't know <laughs> a couple hundred bucks on keyboards out sure. of curiosity. And then I think to myself, why am I doing this? I the Apple my Apple extended keyboard too is the best keyboard I've ever had, and it works perfectly. On my
0: well, if it works, that's the thing. So that, I've got. I don't know why extended, I do it.
1: I don't know why. I I don't know why.
0: I've got an extended here in my in my office, and I've got a couple of the USB ADB converters. And I don't know whether it's that the keyboard is bad, um, or whether it's the converter is bad. But I have a problem where uh, I or is it that I type too fast? Because I, I I find that it 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 drops key, it drops characters. Maybe, as I'm, as I'm maybe
1: typing. with your extraordinary typing skills. Maybe I've it, every once in a while I've I've noticed some weird things. There was a thing I got panicked uh, where there was one key like a couple months ago. I think it was like T, and every it was like, and it was like an insidious typo where it would, I would I would be just be typing, and every time like maybe once out of every hundred times I typed a T, I'd get like three T's.
0: Mm, oh yeah, I've seen that. That's it. I've it, seen that. It, it,
1: it, and it's, it, 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 I, it's it's something, to, you know, combined with, like, my slightly worse vision. And, and it's just, like, a couple of T's together, like, in the word little. It's, like, an extra three T's. It's, like, it would just slip through, you know. Right. Uh, and I got real panicked because I thought, this is definitely, like, it's not me holding the key t- down too far. And it was always, like, the letter T. So I knew it must be, like, electrical. But then it just went away. Yeah. It solved itself. Fixed itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's my concern and and I've seen it is that is that you're going to end up um you're going to end up with a with a problem with the hardware or with the I mean presumably there are still thousands of USB uh, ADB adapters out there that are sitting for, you know that guess. you can get on eBay or yeah. something but but that's my fear is that something's going to break down either the keyboards or the or the adapters or something in the system that changes and that you're going to then you're going to need to find uh, a replacement. It's great. I mean, honestly, how great is it that you're using these keyboards that are <laughs> 25 years old, and, and and they're huge too. That's the other thing is I like the I like the smaller keyboard because I like to have my um my uh my like trackpad as close to the the keys as possible. So I don't like have a number pad or anything like that. So I always preferred, and I think it goes back to having an SE. I had the SE, which had the smaller keyboard. It was still clicky, but it wasn't the full extended. It was like a little mini one with the power, like the horizontal power button at the top. And I think that sort of set me down, set me down that path. But you know, I I don't know. I think you may have to go on a quest one day, um, but as long as it's working for you, That's the that's it's kind of brilliant that you've got, you know, that old tech still.
1: I'm still it, on the first my first ever Griffin ADB. It was called the iMate. And it's yep. it was I got two of those here. It's it's Bondi bondy blue, Bondi blue, whatever that whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: That. Right. Back well, when, they, you know, they had the plastic. Everybody right. was making blue plastic things in 1997.
1: But it's funny because the only thing you'd ever want it, it's like it's funny that they made the adapter in the trendy 2001 apple you know clear plastic colors when the only thing you could possibly want to plug into it was going to be the classic beige, beige. everything was yeah. beige
0: <laughs> yeah but how, how do you add coolness to an ADB adapter yeah. the you, answer is clear plastic
1: do you remember the apple extended keyboard one the original it was it was very similar to the extended keyboard two but it was short-lived i'm not sure why it didn't go up and down it was like at a it was so it was a little bit bigger i think even than oh. the extended keyboard two and it had a definite different feel to the keys. It was more, I would say, more clacky. It was louder and a little bit more clacky.
0: My All my uh, early Apple keyboard experiences were in my college newspaper. So that would have been like 90, 1990 yeah. era. And and so it really would have been like what keyboards did we have there. Because we had a keyboard yeah. attached to a 2CX. And we had a bunch of keyboards on the uh, the SEs that we used. And then later we got a 2FX um, and so that's I. I'll we bet, had some that I'll, had the extended.
1: The two FX would have come with the extended keyboard too. But I'll bet that yeah. I bet that you're I bet you if you saw one you'd be like oh yeah I remember that it was like yeah. just slightly different probably. Uh, you know what other keyboard I loved? I loved the uh, the keyboard that came with the uh, Apple Two GS. Do you remember that keyboard?
0: <laughs> I never had one. I had a, I had a friend who had a Two GS, so I vaguely remember it, but not that well. If you if, let's see if but if it was ADB that was the G two GS had it had ADB that was the other computer that wasn't a Mac that had the the ADB plug on it was the two GS yeah that that's actually a lot like that uh, that early uh, the SE keyboard that I had where you yeah. got that big the wide power button at the very top
1: Yep. yeah well you we had to restart those machines a lot
0: a lot <laughs> it's true it's true yeah it, it's uh <laughs> it was very- I, I don't know.
1: It was very easy to write your own program that completely wedged the machine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, man. It was a good keyboard. And it had, like, the weirdest keycaps I've ever seen where they were sort of, like, uh, uh, it's. You just I'll put a picture in the show notes, I swear to God. Yeah. But if it's just the weirdest keycaps where they weren't really, they were, like, squares, but then on top of the squares were, like, like round racks.
0: Yeah, right. It's, like, two-tier uh, keycaps. I love keyboards.
1: You know what? I'll tell you what. I was thinking about this, too, uh, when, when you were going to be on the show. Uh, I wasn't thinking about keyboards. But I was just thinking, I know you're a baseball fan. And sometimes when a baseball fan is on, I will try to have a conversation that will be of, of interest. to Even all of the – stop. Don't skip. Don't skip. Yeah. <laughs> even to all of you who don't like baseball. Just sort of, for me, a sort of melancholy week with Alex Rodriguez uh, getting dumped from the Yankees. Uh, As we record on Thursday, he'll be playing tonight in Boston, and then tomorrow night he's playing in New York, and then then that's it. He's going home. That's it. Um, And combined, it just is interesting to me that you know he's 41 years old. He's had a very contentious, really (laughs) up and down career with uh, his his controversies over the performance enhancing drugs. Um, And the same week, uh, Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, who's now playing for the Florida Marlins got his three thousandth hit in major league baseball and ichiro is to me a guy who if if you could just like show put some video clips together and and talk about it he's a player that would be of interest even to non-sports fans because he's he's, yeah. he's he's like he seriously is like a it, it, like an alien he, he's he's <laughs> like he, he, you know he's, he, he's he's like a creature who was just born to play baseball but he doesn't play like anybody else.
0: Well, it's like the, um, what was it? uh, The back in the 19th century, there was a player named Wee Willie Keeler. And I believe he was the one who who famously said, I I hit them where they ain't. Yeah. The idea is that, like, they're like, how are you such a great hitter? And he says, well, I hit the ball where the other, where the fielders aren't. And that's it. Like, it's so simple. And yet, when you look at, Ichiro and I think Tony Gwynn was kind of like yep. this too it, 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 there are, in in a century of baseball players you get a couple of people who's like somehow this guy can use that stick to put that ball that's coming at him at hundred miles an hour wherever he wants it and that's just unbelievable
1: I read was just read a story the other day it was actually in response to somehow like from one link to another in a Twitter conversation with somebody's you know a discussion that was started with Ichiro and it led to Tony Gwynn um and just talking about like the best hitters of the last twenty years, like but best hitters of, of like you and my adult life, and there's the power guys. Like I think, a number one, I think Bonds is the best hitter we've ever seen, and I don't, yeah. I can't, I, I don't really caught to any discussion otherwise. Um
0: But yeah, take the steroids out of right, it, and he probably right. still is. Yeah, well, maybe, but even
1: with, I mean, the numbers are there, and they're just astounding. I mean, the yeah. one, the the one year he had. 200 and some intentional walks so in, in a game where you have 162 games he, he drew over an, one intentional walk a game It's no, oh, yeah. there's never been anything
0: like that he, I watched and, every one of those games too I uh, mean, it was a daily occurrence they walked him with the bases loaded one time
1: <laughs> that's a true story True story. Rather than let Barry Bonds hit with the bases loaded, a team actually chose to walk him on purpose and give up a run.
0: And they won the game because of it. So, Uh, you know, good call.
1: So Alex Rodriguez right now, as it stands, has 696 home runs, career home runs, fourth of all time. Uh, Truly a great home run hitter. I mean, fourth of all time in the history of the – hundred and some history of the game. Bonds had more intentional walks in that one season than Alex Rodriguez has had in a 20-year career. (laughs) A 20-year career. Yep. Uh, it's anyway, Bonds is great. Gwynn was uh, amazing. And I read this. story. My favorite player ever. So, he is
0: he is absolutely my favorite baseball player ever.
1: Tony Gwynn used to call it the 5.5 hole, meaning mm-hmm. it was between uh the, there's numbers for the players. So in between the shortstop who's 6 and the third baseman who's 5 on the scorecard, uh he'd just try to hit the ball between the shortstop and third base and <laughs> could do it with remarkable accuracy but the thing i read was like like when he started slowing down a little bit his average dropped and for him dropping meant he got close to 300 uh and the difference was that he wasn't beating out the ones that the shortstop would backhand anymore and he had a conversation with ted williams and ted williams uh told him to start he said you got it you need to pull the ball more <laughs> and, and just that one conversation with ted williams and all of a sudden gwyn purposely started trying to pull the ball a little more and, his, and that was when he that was uh led to the seasons where he was hitting like 350
0: 360 yeah i mean it's, it's so simple right right just like just hit it the other to the other part of the field they're like all right i'll do that then because like Ichiro, gwyn could uh seemingly put the ball wherever he wanted it right so each there's Ichiro. two things
1: about Ichiro. number one you have to watch him. If you don't, if you, even if you don't like baseball, just go to YouTube and Google Ichiro hitting. He starts running before he hits the ball. Yeah. It, he's a left-handed batter, and it, when he sees the ball, he his batting stance is such that he's running to first base bef- as he makes contact with the ball, which nobody has ever done. Nobody would ever teach. If you you know saw a little kid doing it, and you're coaching little league, you'd immediately say, No, 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 <laughs> you can't do that. You're never going to hit the ball. The other thing is that he treats his bats as though they're samurai swords, and this is where I'm going with the keyboard. Where it's he he comes in and spends like an hour a day, like examining his bats with like from like with his eyes like an inch away and rubs over every surface of them. He carries them. He he has a collection of them that he carries in like a a custom made like what do you call like a humidor? What do you put cigars in? It's like yeah, humidor. a humidor. Yeah, it's it's a moisture-proof carrying case that he carries himself by hand and doesn't hand over to like the team equipment people. Uh, and and when you know this and you realize this about him and then you watch him on TV, you realize that his bats are all in like mint condition. <laughs> like most of the bats are all gunked up with pine tar and and nicked and have marks from where they hit balls in batting practice. Each of bats all look like they are in mint condition.
0: Yeah, they're they're his uh, professional tool and he treats them as such and when you see him use them you can see it's like an extension of his body it's he mm. is it's surgical precision with what he does with them.
1: The other thing I read about Ichiro is that every year or I think it's every year but at, at least several times he has visited the Hall of Fame in uh, Cooperstown in the off season and uh, you know orchestrates a behind the scenes, you know, tour and he takes out the bats. He gets some of the bat. He has like a list of hitters whose bats he wants to examine. And, (laughs) and he, you know, I saw pictures of it and he's got the white gloves on, you know, 'cause, cause these are like historic artifacts and he studies the bats of great hitters and, and weighs them and, and like examines them in fine detail. It's, it's just amazing. And that to me, that to me is like what justifies me caring so much about my keyboard.
0: Yeah, I think it's your it's your professional tool, right? It's right. how you it's how you make your living, and that's the bottom line. And so, writers do writers talk about things like uh, like keyboards and and you know notebooks and right. pens and things like that. Yeah, they do, but but you have to understand it is it is actually uh, a professional tool. It's like how how our livelihood happens. Yep, it's worth it. All right,
1: let me take a break from all this great. <laughs> Keyboard and baseball discussion.
0: (laughs) I was trying to keep us off of baseball by talking about keyboards. No, we did a both.
1: Uh, And tell you about our first sponsor. This is a great company. It's Global Delight. Now, we all use headphones. And we're going to talk a little bit more later in the show about headphones. uh, To listen to music on our iPhones and iPads. But no matter which headphones we use, the audio often feels like it lacks depth. Global Delight, they're the company behind the Mac app, Boom. That uh, It's like an audio enhancer for Mac. It's a great app, actually, and it was the uh, actually if it rings a bell, it's, they were uh, sponsored on the show a couple weeks ago. Um, so these are the same guys behind the Mac app Boom. They have an iOS app that solves this issue. It's called Boom for iOS. Now iOS, you can't have like a system wide extension that enhances audio across the board. It doesn't work like that on iOS. So Boom on iOS is a music player app. And when, no matter which headphones you use, it turns the music you listen to into an amazing 3D surround sound. It, it's it's an amplifier, a, 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 you know, like a sound filter, music player. Doesn't stop there. You can change the equalizers. You can adjust the bass and the intensity of the audio with fine control. You can be real picky. This is for people who really care about what this stuff sounds like in your headphones. Uh, Boom plays it's magic with the downloaded music from your iTunes library so it's not like you have to like you know do any kind of magic stuff or or pain in the butt stuff to uh to import your music into it. it just plays the system stuff the system stuff in your iTunes library and it's very very simple to use uh here's in the best part it's free it's a free download so if you don't you're skeptical you don't know what it's going to sound like go download it get it from the app store try it out uh and then it's an in-app purchase to unlock everything if you if you like the way it sounds. So open your browser, uh, if you want to see their website, it's boom4ios.com. So just spell boom, then f o r ios.com. And you'll be taken to the Boom app directly, and then you can hit the download button. All you need to do is then just buy the in-app purchase if you like it, and, uh, and you'll enjoy it. It's a great app. These guys do a great job. Even though their specialty is obviously audio, they do a phenomenal job with the user interface stuff. Their stuff looks exquisite. Always very, very, very impressive UI design. Um, and here's the best part. They've got a special offer for talk show listeners. They've got a sale running through the 21st of August. Uh, I think it's uh, normally four ninety nine for the in app purchase. Yes, four ninety nine. Right now, you'll buy it right now before August twenty first. You get it for a buck ninety nine. So that's two bucks, and you get this great app. So go download, boom for iOS, and try it out, and buy it before August twenty first, and you'll save save a couple bucks. Uh, we have, there is a lot of news. I don't. We probably yeah. was probably pretty stupid to waste. <laughs> so much time on keyboards but i i do love them
0: you do chapter markers in your podcast that'll solve everything uh, Just stick a chapter i don't
1: in yeah you know i <laughs> should mention this that i it, you know i i because atp does it and you guys do too do you guys do yeah, chapters yeah, so here and
0: there Yeah. Um, not, on, not on everyone but on some of them yeah uh
1: so for everybody who wants them on this show we are looking into it <laughs> it's, right. it's there's a tooling issue where it's actually there is no good tool for this yet uh yeah a uh, friend of the show, Marco Armin, is actually working on such a tool, so uh, I'm aware of that. and yep. And there will be chapters on this show
0: uh, eventually. All right.
1: Uh, so the news, what do you want to talk about first? I guess we should oh my talk God. German stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, so Mark German, right, he's, he's he's back, he's at Bloomberg. We saw, he he had a report like a, a month ago, but he, he dropped a few reports this week that, that are you know his sources are so good um, especially on the hardware side that, that the, it feels like confirmation to me and I know it's not it's just an, it's another story with anonymous sources saying this is what Apple's going to do but it feels like confirmation now that German has said you know given the nod and been like yeah this is what's going to happen with the with the iPhone and with the, with the, the new MacBook Pro yeah it's too. like having
1: a four run lead in the bottom of the ninth you're yeah, probably going to pro-
0: win Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like and and it's funny because now that he's at Bloomberg, um, you know, Bloomberg, I I know some people who have who have worked or or do work at Bloomberg. And Bloomberg is a very um, they're a little idiosyncratic in what they do in terms of like their style guide and their 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 uh, copy desk and things like that. But they're sticklers. And you can see it in in German's reports that some of the phrasing is kind of different than yeah. maybe he did at nine to five Mac, where they probably just, you know, made sure that, it, you know, I don't, I don't want to impugn nine to five Mac, but you know, most online stuff, including stuff I do, you give it a read and then you put it up. You don't have a copy desk with, who are sticklers. And, uh, and so it, it's sort of, uh, been interesting to see how, how they, they change some of his phrases or they make, make it very specific about like what he knows and what he doesn't know and what the details are, um. B- at, and so it at, ends up being nine a to little five, bit fuzzier
1: at nine to five. Mac, I would say it was always you know mentioned, and he never he always wrote in a sort of reportery fashion, even at nine to five. Mac, sure. um, not as opposed to like a columnist style. Yeah, totally. Like Joanna Stern and I were talking about that on the last episode of this show that I, I I could do it, I guess, but it would feel it would feel like like drudgery to me. Like I've always wanted to be a columnist and write mm-hmm. in my own voice, so. Garman always wrote in a reporter's voice but he would just the biggest difference I would say is that when he had a scoop he would put the according to you know sources familiar with it once in the first paragraph and then the rest of the story would be here's what I've found out whereas right. the bigger the biggest stylistic difference with Bloomberg with him at Bloomberg is that the according to the people uh <laughs> That's right. The and it, it, there's an awful lot. It just keeps coming back and back that it, this is according to pe- what people have told him. And I personally, I, we, you and I were engaged in a thread on Twitter about this. I actually like this better. I, I really do. And And maybe it's a little inside baseball, you know, like that you and I think about these, the copy desks and stuff like that. But I like it that it emphasizes that this is not a known fact and that German isn't saying that he's seen this thing himself, which would, uh, you know, alleviate the need to source it. It's from sources who said that they know this. And I think that's worth emphasizing.
0: Yeah. And, and, and them, you know, being sticklers, that, that's what they want to do is say, we've got information, but we haven't confirmed it ourselves. It's from a source that we trust. And so we're going to say it's an anonymous source. And then throughout the story, every time we cite something, we're if we can't say it as a fact, because we saw it with our own eyes, essentially, we have to say, we have to attribute that to whoever got it. And so as a result, you, you get the uh, things about that, you know, there won't be a headphone jack. The sources said, right. Or people, they, I think they said people, the people said, right. But that's
1: interesting too, because it's, it, it's a way of corroborating that, that, that piece of information came from, Multiple sources,
0: exactly, and that's good. That's clarity, right? And right. I, it may feel weird to read it that way because there, it's definitely being done with with great care. But as a user of that information, it's really good to have clarity about what you know. What Mark Gurman is being told by his sources, and what he maybe is extrapolating from that. And I, I like I like having that because then then we we can leave it to our judgment. But it also eliminates right. the, just the confusion of like, what's he really saying here? Is he is, does he know that or is he supposing that? And and the way it's the Bloomberg process seems to have taken his stuff is it's a little bit clearer about the stuff that he he has been told by his sources, like l- sort of laying it out like this is what we know from from sources.
1: The other thing that you and I know, and and I I I think it's probably true. For you you too, I definitely think so. I think that the whole reason that you and I've eked out um you know these positions we have is that we attract we don't attract the most readers, but we attract discerning readers right like i there's no way that the readership of your stuff and my stuff combined yeah. amounts to a hill of beans from the Huffington Post perspective right if we're counting page views we're you know little fish, yeah, but absolutely. we attract discerning readers, and so a lot of times um. When I go off on a track like this about just how meaningful it is when a a Bloomberg or a Wall Street Journal says, you know, prints out a rumor, sometimes I get a lot of pushback from readers who are skeptical readers, which is good. And I'm not surprised that I have readers who are like, hey, you know, I don't believe it just because it's in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and that's true, and I, I think everybody should read all of the, everything they read. My stuff, your stuff, and especially news reports, with a you know skeptical mind. Like, where did this information come from? I think being a critical reader of journalism is is a, a essential skill. It should be taught, emphasized in schools. I think in a way that it wasn't for me. Um, so I'm not saying it's true, but you do you know inside baseball, it's like y- you know that like a publication like Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times knows that when something like this gets reported what almost everybody else says is Bloomberg says the yeah. big iPhone is going to have two cameras and they don't go into that nobody else reports that it's Mark Gurman who says this one reporter like if it doesn't turn out to be true it's it's mostly on Bloomberg in yeah, and Bloomberg is
0: a huge company with financial information. I mean, reporting about one of the largest, if not the largest, public company in the world, um, getting information wrong about their biggest product—that right. <laughs> right. that would be colossal, right? And right. so, not they want to. They want to be careful with it, but it also says something that you know when he reports this stuff, they are standing behind it, right. and and and. As observers of what Gurman has done over the years, um, I, I, we can see why because his sources, are, his sources are good. He always has been careful. Um, I think he's actually a great fit for Bloomberg because of all of those yeah. things. He's not a super speculative guy, he's somebody with good sources who lays out what his sources say.
1: It is funny. It's funny to me. I heard, I've, I found out that he was going to Bloomberg back in March, where whenever it was that Apple held an event in California. What was that, March? I think it was march like yeah. mid mid-march uh and it wasn't uh it seemed like it wasn't like an open secret but it, there were a couple of other people in the the you know cover apple press game who knew uh that he was going to go to bloomberg uh and it was funny to me that it never it never actually was published <laughs> like the guy who's the guy who's who's known for spoiling apple's secrets his own secret everybody was just like it just seemed like uncouth because it it seemed like Everybody seemed to not want to publish it or tweet it or anything, just because it just seemed like, well, it's you know, let's not bother the kid.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think mean, I think was like everybody a was kind of happy for him too because he yeah. does good work. He, he yeah. he's he's really young. He was in college. He, you know, he, he he has done some incredible things, and yeah. um, and now he's got a, a really high profile job at a major. Uh, source of news and business information. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we kind of didn't want to wreck it for him. He's yeah. he he's he does good work.
1: It's a I think it's a really good fit because Bloomberg, in particular, in my opinion, really emphasizes scoops. They they really pride themselves on on breaking things like this, um, being first, while simultaneously being completely accurate. Right, yeah. as opposed to, you know, they won't cross that line of being first by taking a chance that it's not true, but they really want to be first. And
0: well, it's a feather in their cap as a, as a provider of of business intelligence, because I mean, the, the number one way Bloomberg makes money, as far as I. Can tell, um, and what I've heard is it's like the terminal. They yep. they have these terminals. They're in uh, the offices of people in the financial sector. They are uh, giving real time business information and news. And from when you view Bloomberg through that lens, where they're not like a, wi- a wire service or something, right. they are a financial information provider, and news is one of the things that they do. When you think of them that way. Um, it sort of it sort of makes sense yeah like, and that's yeah, where you, the culture now
1: that's exactly where the culture of being first and having the scoop comes from is the yeah. culture from the terminals because
0: uh, you want to get ahead as an investor you want that extra edge
1: right um i re- I worked at uh, a firm on the Philadelphia Stock Exchange when I was in college I had a, an internship doing like i t stuff I wasn't doing investing stuff I was you know on the computer team um but they had the you know the traders had the Bloomberg boxes of course so I got to see them. It, Interesting, fascinating devices for the mid mid nineties.
0: Yeah, and well, the funny thing, and there, there's a, um, and they were just, fast.
1: That's the one thing is that, like,
0: well, that's that's the whole that's the whole story. There's a story somewhere I'm trying to find it. That um, the the problem with the Bloomberg terminal is so it, it is. They call it the terminal. It looks like a DOS mm-hmm. interface. It's got these weird keyboard shortcuts. It's like something like WordStar or something. It's that kind of thing, right? Yep. It's a strange, strange thing, but. Um, the thing is the people who know how to use the bloomberg terminal they they can do everything fast with a yep. couple of keystrokes it 's this incredible thing, so it 's a huge u x problem because it 's impenetrable on one level, but once you know it, you can have complete control over it and they 're loath to change it because they're they 're uh uh, their loyal loyal customers yep. want want to know how to use it, so it's the, they they end up in this weird place, which is like, can we improve this product, or do we need to leave it looking like a DOS terminal forever?
1: Well, and there's never a day for a, for the traders. There's never like a slow day, you know. So there's never a day where, well, all right. We'll, you know, we'll install this new version that I don't know how to use, and I'll be lost all day, you know, trying to figure out it. No,
0: yeah, it's, they can't can't ever do it, right. right? So it's better better to just let your your interns and your new hires read the manual and learn how to do it and get up to right. speed and just leave it the way it is. Um, and it's yeah, it's fascinating. And they and they that's the whole thing. They're they're not afraid. Knowing people who've worked at Bloomberg, they are not afraid to be. Um, different from the crowd yep. like they, they have different terminology for stuff they don 't call the laptops that their journalists get aren 't called laptops they 're no? called like tra- they 're called like travel units or travelers <laughs> or something like it 's just they 've got their own terminology they 've got their own rules it goes down it 's just it's uh, they are they are different, and I think that maybe comes from Mike Bloomberg that you know he was a, you know he 's a maverick yeah. he 's not afraid to to say let 's do things kind of differently and it also comes from the fact that they are a not a traditional uh you know ad funded journalism outfit they're this they're a financial services outfit. Yeah.
1: Um uh, so uh Gurman's two articles, recent articles, uh first was the one about the new iPhones. Um yeah. So it seemingly confirmed that it definitely said that the the plus size one will have the two the two camera system. Right. And seem to confirm that the 4.71 won't, but doesn't quite say that. And this is one of those things where the, the sourcing is kind of interesting. Here's, the, I'm going to read the paragraph. The dual dual system sharpens photos taken in low light environments, the person said. The combination of the merged photos from the two camera sensors also allows users to zoom while retaining more clarity, the person added. The smaller version of the new phones will not include dual lenses, KGI securities analyst Ming-Chi Kuo said earlier this year. Now, that to, that last bit is fascinating to me because seemingly, Gurman's own sources didn't didn't or couldn't say whether the smaller phone has the two cameras. He's only referring to a report from Ming-Chi Kuo.
0: It may be, or may not, because later they talk about the headphone jack uh, being removed and they, they reference, um, Mako Takara as being the original report. So I, am not, I couldn't read this and say whether they're, uh, you know, whether he doesn't actually know that for sure, because it sounds like he actually just said that it's not. I think it's more that he may be doing in a Bloombergian kind of way the hat tip yeah. of of who originally reported this, because he didn't originally report yeah, it. Yeah, I it think was, that's ex-
1: I think, no, the Mako Takara.
0: Oh, and, and, well, for Mako Takara, it's for sure that way. But I, that, I wonder if maybe the, the Ming Chi Kuo a- right. attribution is, is that, which is just look, you know, this person got it first. We should tip our cap to them.
1: Uh, confirms no headphones and the yeah. other,
0: you know, none of this is new. There's not
1: one bit of it that is new, but it's confirmation of a whole bunch of these rumors that are floating about. The other thing is right. that the home button now won't physically click; it will uh, be tapped <laughs> yeah, force touch, like the button. like the trackpads, like you know the modern Mac mm-hmm. MacBook trackpads. Um. Which is interesting, and I think, I wonder, you know, there's often a lot of... German story doesn't mention waterproofing at all, but one of the things that has been floated about is that whether Apple will bill it as waterproof or not, that the one of the design the features of these new iPhones is that they will be even further water-resistant than previous ones. Right. Um, and I can only imagine that a force touch home button would help in some way in terms of waterproofing, simply because it seems like every button that actually moves is a is a place where moisture could get through.
0: Yeah, and it's also going to reduce um, repair incidences because, you know, even if it's not that common, um, home buttons malfunction because, I mean, it's a moving part. It has to go up and down. Yeah. And so you take that out of the equation and it's not actually moving anymore. You just feel like it's moving when you, when you press on it. Um, I can see, assuming they do it right, although, you know, the 3D touch and the force touch and the trackpad is uh, they did a good job with that. So assuming they do it right so that you really do get that that uh, that sense of, of action, because it would be the worst thing in the world if you're like, why is my phone locked up and you try to press the home button and nothing happens? You're like, yeah, what do I do now? So they got to get it right. But there are a lot of benefits to... Um, you know, simplifying the shape of the product basically.
1: I, it's one of those things that might be like keyboards, where it, some people might really like it and others might not because it will feel different. And I love the new trackpads. I, I I think you. I don't know. Maybe you do too. I have a. a re- yeah, I do. I have a review unit of MacBook Pro that Apple gave me to test. Um, What's the new operator? Sierra? Sierra, yeah, I've got one right behind me. Yeah. Right, and so my personal MacBook Pro has is older. It's it's you know I forget. I think it might be two years old at this point or close to two years old. Doesn't have it. I love it. It's a 13 inch MacBook Pro. It's probably now my favorite MacBook that I've ever owned. I really. I, the more I use it, I really appreciate how good it is. Um, the one thing I really like better about the review unit one is that trackpad. I really like the force touch trackpad, and I think the main reason why is that I tend to click a lot at the top of the trackpad. Oh yeah. And the mechanic, the the lever that is the moving trackpad, it the the fulcrum is at the top, so it's actually a lot easier to click towards the bottom than it is at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that on the force touch one, it's just as clicky. Everywhere on the whole thing. I know other people don't like it, though. I think Marco Armin does not like the Force Touch trackpad. So maybe the home buttons will be the same way.
0: Yeah, it could be. The, yeah, Marco doesn't like it. I do like it. I actually use the the desktop uh, Magic trackpad. Yes, yeah. Too. And, yep. I, and I, I really like it. Um, Amazon did this with the um, Kindle... Which one was it? Voyage, I think they put like uh, it's a n- now with page turn buttons, which they had taken off of an earlier yeah. model. But it wasn't really a button; it was this haptic thing where you squeezed this thing on the side, and it gave a little vibration. And it, I, it didn't it didn't work there. Although that was kind of cheaply done, and I expect Apple to do a better job than that. Um, but they ended up with their the Oasis that they have now. It's just back to being a physical button because that yeah. was just a better experience. Um, so it can be done badly. But um, I would imagine given the force touch trackpad that, and and, and I think that's why the reference is being made to it is that whoever described this to Mark Gurman is like, no, no, it's going to be like the force touch trackpad. You're not going to even be able to believe that it doesn't move, which that's, that sounds good to me.
1: Yeah. It's funny to me because I thought one of my complaints for years with iPhones was that the home buttons were not good enough. And maybe I just got Mm -hmm. bad phones. I don't know. But like in the 3G, 3GS, and maybe even like the iPhone 4 era, like there was like a certain it, it, squishiness to it that I didn't like year after year. And I, I, I think I even wrote about it on Daring Fireball that on a device where there's really just one main button, that button sh- should feel <laughs> really good. Yeah. Like, if you're going to minimize buttons, the buttons that you have left have to be really good because they're really going to stand out. And it's the sort of thing that Apple should pride itself on doing well. And I think that they've now they've gotten it great. Like The, the clickiness of um the the touch id era home buttons to me is terrific to me it feels like one of the best buttons in the world
0: yeah it's good um there there are i mean there are lots of speculations about how apple I mean, because it's Apple, right? Apple wants to eventually have no buttons and no ports because that's sort of the platonic ideal of a device and as thin as possible. Um, that they would get rid of the home button entirely at some point, or at least the physical home button, even if there's a way to do the, uh, do a gesture. Right. And this seems like a, a step in that direction, which is, okay, now we've got it so that we can read your fingerprint and you can press on it in order to get what, where you want to go, but there's actually nothing moving. Uh, and that's like step one. And maybe step two is that they put, you know they put that on uh, uh, you know the bottom center of the screen or something and it's it's seeking that out whatever a future iphone design might be i don't know but that it does seem like it's 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 a very apple step to make to yeah. elim- eliminate a moving part um
1: uh, and so I, I what are we left with the focus on here the the fact that the 4.7 inch phone apparently won't have dual cameras and it's yeah. you know the rumor chain has has been pretty consistent on that regard Mm -hmm. especially if you believe the supply chain links of the backs of these phones there's never been one a credible one that showed two cameras the two camera oval on the four and 4.7 inch iphone and there's usually one on the 5.5 inch um i'm a little bummed about that because i prefer the 4.7 by far in terms of hand feel. And in fact, as you know, anybody read my my iPhone SE review, if anything, I have mixed feelings about the 4.7 inch versus the the iPhone SE size 4 inch phone.
0: Yeah, I I've been thinking about this, and I think it's probably not true. I think the 4.7 is probably the mainstream phone and will remain so, but I did have that moment where I thought with the iPhone SE doing I think way better Apple even admitted, way better than Apple expected. And now we're talking about differentiating the iPhone plus at the high end with a much better camera, which in some ways is taking advantage of the fact that it's just got more room yeah. um, and it's and it's more expensive so they can pack stuff in there. Um, I do have those moments where I think why would you get the 4.7-inch iPhone? Like, if you really care about photography, get the big iPhone. Uh, if you're somebody who uses your phone all the time and wants the biggest screen possible, get the big iPhone. And if you if you care about size, and that's your, your priority, or if you care about price, the iPhone SE is right there. Um, and it, it's just, again, it's probably not realistic, but I, I feel like it's interesting that Apple is making the edge phones Kind of really appealing in the, almost like the the simplicity of the one and the, the yeah. power and complexity of the other. And then what's the four point seven inch iPhone? Well, it's just your average iPhone, I guess. Yeah. In the middle, um, there
1: are other rumors that there will be three iPhones, new iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen this? That will yeah, be a the four- Pro and the Plus. Yeah. So it would be like I forget I don't think they're going to call it iPhone 7 but maybe they will but let's just say that they do cuz uh, otherwise
0: and, and, and let's note Mark Gurman's story at no point calls it the iPhone 7 right at right. no point
1: uh well, hold that thought cuz there's that's key to understanding this, his sources or one mm-hmm. of the keys to yes, understanding indeed. his sources yeah. um, uh, so let's just say they call it the 7 that this other rumor would say there'd be the iPhone 7 4. 7 inches the iPhone 7 plus which would be 5.5 inches and still have the same camera probably with like the image stabilization but the single camera circle on the back and then the iPhone 7 Pro which would have the dual camera system and presumably like maybe like 256 gigs of, of storage um, I, I and part of that rumor is based on like supply chain links that show some of these plates that look they're the bigger size, but they only have one hole for the camera. Hmm. And who knows if they're fake? I, I don't know. Some of those, it's like, the, the, when those pictures come out, they go so super viral that there's, you know, some of them have been fake over the years. I don't know what the motivation is for people making these fake ones, but it's crazy. I That this does, that doesn't make any product marketing sense to me.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and we've just defined, right, we, we got uh, what's an iPad Pro, right? I feel like they could do an iPhone Pro but to have a pro and a plus and the regular iPhone and the SE and have the pro and the plus be essentially the same, except one of them has this like one esoteric difference. It seems too complicated and, um, which is not to say that I'm not intrigued by the idea of like an iPhone Pro that is the two cameras and maybe support for the pencil. Yeah. Um, that, that's interesting. That's an interesting idea of of, of branding that product that way. Right. But to have that and then, it feels more likely to me that it's just you know what we're seeing is the is is the success plus just. Right. Again, maybe maybe slightly altered, but just the 6S Plus. And, and that's a question is like, what do they keep? Traditionally, Apple has kept the previous year's phones in the lineup. Um, so, you know, what happens there too? I, I, don't, I don't know. It seems unlikely though that they would have two identical phones except for like the cameras on the back. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it
1: makes it harder. Like with, by calling them the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus and then the 6S and the 6S Plus. They can just say, they can say shot with iPhone 6. And, it, it, right. and it, all of the new phones are in, carried with that, whether you have the plus or not. The plus is just refers to the size, even though the camera was technically slightly better because it had the optical image stabilization. They didn't right. need to say that. They could just say, they could run ads and billboards that just say iPhone 6 or iPhone 6S and it covers both. Whereas if they do this, they, it doesn't. They'd have to run separate campaigns, and then that would it would peg the ones that are going to sell in greater quantities, the lower priced ones, the 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 regular and the plus. It would peg them as being on this on a lower tier from day one, which is it's just I, I don't know something about that doesn't sit right with me. I guess it's possible. Like I wouldn't be shocked if that's how it turns out. But German's story makes it seem like there's just two, four point 5.5, and the five point five has a better camera.
0: Yeah, it has these double, you know, dual lens system, which is a cool idea. I mean, I think I I think the place where smartphones could still get better, right? I mean, back yeah. in the old days, it's like they could get better everywhere. It's like everything could be better. But now the place like number one place where I think a smartphone could get better in terms of priority has to be the cameras. The cameras could get so much better because we we know what good cameras look like, and although the cameras on smartphones are amazing compared to what they used to be, they, they could still be so much better so i like the idea that apple is right. is going down that path and saying what if we put two lenses on and use software and put them together and 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 they should be doing that that that's absolutely the right thing for them to do
1: yeah and i don't even think german's description of it is a hit his description is about it's first mentioned sharpening photos taken in low light environments i mean that could help with that but the bigger, the biggest difference of the two lens system isn't really light sensitivity. That's a problem that's really hard to solve, just because of the physics of optics with the the size of these devices and how yeah. small the sensors are compared to like a full size or even even like the four third system cameras or something. You know, the ones with small sensors like a- APSC. Like in a camera camera those small sensors are so much bigger than the sensors that you can fit in a phone. Like it's, it's absolutely remarkable how good the photos you can get off these devices are with how tiny the sensors are, but that's really a limiting factor for light sensitivity. The two lens system is really about having two lenses of different focal Distances. So you've got the one that's wide angle, like the one we already, we've already we always had on our phone. And then to have a second one that has a, a, a longer focal length, like, you know, I don't know what it would be, the equivalent in 35-millimeter terms, but, you know, a 50 or an 85 or something. Um, so that, when you zoom, it can actually do it optically instead of, like, if you're trying to shoot something far away and get it closer and, you know, fill up more of the frame... The optics of that are way better if you actually have, if you're doing it with a real longer lens instead of with, you know, just cropping the wide, the wide lens picture. Right. And there's going to be, ought to be ways, there might be ways to do 3D stuff, you know, slightly 3D stuff, you know, for the live pictures and stuff like that. It could be all sorts of really cool optical stuff with this. So uh, I better get bigger, bigger pockets
0: yeah I know that's that that's my thought too is I, I I've always rejected that phone because it's so large but um I would be if anything would tempt me to get a larger phone it would be something like that like a much better camera would tempt me to to just swallow my pride and expand my pockets and get the get the big phone
1: yeah the second factor for me in a little bit like the hand the the size in the pockets in the hand I'm never gonna like but the second factor for me personally is that I'm like uh, my, I'm rushing towards needing reading glasses when I wear my contact lenses. Like I've mentioned this on the show before, but long story short, when I wear my contacts, I I need reading glasses to read in low light environments now. I can't focus at reading length when I have my contacts in. When I'm wearing my glasses, I can because the, and I talked to my eye doctor about it because when you wear glasses, they're further from the, the lens of my eye, whereas contacts literally they're right there. And so right. it, it's at a distance, I see exactly the same, you know, a- clarity with glasses on and contacts, but at a close distance, when you start getting presbyopia in your forties, it really, it makes a big difference whether you have contacts on or not. So, but really when I have my glasses on, what I like to do when I read is take them off and I'm, cause I'm nearsighted, I can, without any correction at all, I can read that's when I read the best. I actually read tons and tons on my phone lately in the morning before I put my contacts in just, with, just because it's actually the, the way I see clearest is with no correction at all
0: mm. with my phone
1: yeah. right in front of my face. Um, but I wear contacts most of the time. Uh, but having the bigger phone and being able to make the text bigger would actually would actually be optically good for me.
0: Yeah my my wife has a 6s and uses it in the mode where it's blown up to essentially it's pretending yeah. to be a 5 yeah uh because she's because she's got um for the first time because she's always had perfect vision but she's in her 40s now and so now she needs reading glasses yeah. and so she's just uh, that's been one of her concessions to be able to use her phone without having to switch to reading glasses is is using that extra screen space just to make everything bigger and so yeah w- what I've been
1: doing uh, i I haven't given into that zoom mode, but I do go into uh, the text size
0: oh yeah mm-hmm. and
1: it is it it just made it makes me feel good about the fact that I've been promoting accessibility features <laughs> yeah. long before I needed them but now yeah. I, I really do i i mean yeah. and and my vision problems i I always want to say this it, if anything, it makes me appreciate how good my vision still is, you know, because it's like having a, a scare with, you know, losing the, all the vision in my eye when I had the retina detachment, it really makes me appreciate just how bad some people's vision really is. People who are, you know, uh, on some scale legally blind. Um, but, you know, there's some people who are legally blind can still see something. But the, the accessibility features in iOS, it's like, it's so great. It makes me, and, and now I'm actually somebody who benefits from them.
0: Well, that's how my wife uses her Apple Watch because, you know, you can't really do the large screen mode on the Apple Watch. Right. And she has used the accessibility feature to increase the, the the text size and it makes her Apple Watch usable. Otherwise, it's like it's great that I have this watch on. But if I have to put my glasses on every time I need to read yep. anything on the screen, it's pointless. So she uses the, the type size control. Yep, I it's do, great. too.
1: It is a great, great, great yeah. feature. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm going to have a big phone. I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see how, how what exactly the devil's in the details, and this comes back to what you were saying about um, where Mark Gurman's sources are. Is is a lot of times with these Apple products? I always say this. I mean, it, it's just it's so true. You got to know where the rumors are coming from, and what and, and the what we know is what is us. We know the product, but we don't know the story, and right. and, and, and it's the marketing, and in, and in some ways it's the software. Like we know that there are two cameras, and we can speculate on what those cameras do, but Apple will probably have a very particular story about. How those cameras work together, when yeah. one camera gets used, when the other gets used, do they get merged together? How does that work? Is there UI to flip between them or change the focus or things like that? And that we we really don't know.
1: All right, like, what's the scenario where this is going to be better? Like yeah. a, a scenario I can think of, and I'm sure you know you run into the same thing too. Is parent in the auditorium and the kids on stage? That's yeah. where the phone. The phone is a terrible camera for that situation because. You really want a picture of your kid, but it's there's no way that optical zoom in a dimly lit auditorium. Not optical zoom, uh, d- digital digital zoom. You know, yeah, it's the worst of a wide angle, a wide angle lens with a tiny little sensor. It's you might as well not even do it. I always wonder when I see these parents holding their phones up for the entire thing. I really want to play that Louis C.K. rant of of hey, just be here. You know what I mean? Just yeah. be here from because a- it's not just that you'd be better off just being there and watching it uh the the actual image you're getting from that camera from a cell phone halfway back in an auditorium is going to be useless you're not going to make out your kid's face but a longer lens might it might actually save that
0: yeah i I was we were coming back from a a long weekend and we were driving we were in uh, southern oregon and so we were driving back driving south and you go past on interstate five you go past mount shasta which is huge volcano um there's a uh, it's it's like 2 miles above the the rest of the landscape around it and even middle of summer with 90 degrees outside there's snow and glaciers and stuff on the top of it and it's spectacular you're driving down the freeway and there's this huge volcano right in front of you and i get on my iphone to take a picture of it and i open it up and i look and it's just like it's like it's not even there because right. it's that wide angle shot it's right. got both sides of the windshield it's got the road and all that and i i zoomed in and i got i got an okay shot with the digital zoom right. but those shots are no good because yeah. they are zoomed in so far that any of the majesty of it is now lost in all the little pixelation that happens. Yeah, it's it is. I,
1: it does. It it will make for, and I presume it'll be Schiller who does it because that's Schiller's gig. These years is usually the he's the guy who does the new iPhone in September on stage. right uh, and I happen to know that you know Schiller is a truly a you know a real f- f- photography enthusiast. He really knows his shit about cameras. Uh, and he really cares, but it's such a hard thing to present when you're saying how awesome this camera is. And this other phone that we also want you to be excited about (laughs) doesn't have it and can't do it, but that is, it's a perfect scenario though. Like you want to get the mountaintop, you know, and that is exactly the sort of thing where a second lens that is longer will make a a dramatic difference. But when they show you the dramatic difference, it's going to be in comparison to what you get with the other new iPhone.
0: I think they're just going to have to say like, you know, we could do this because it's a much larger phone, yeah, yeah. and 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 they, they they're going to have to explain it that way. It's yeah. like the only way we could do this is because yeah. the iPhone six plus or yeah. seven plus or whatever it is yeah. is this much bigger, yeah. um, and and so we can ha- we have the room to do this. But um, I, I'm looking forward to that demo because I imagine that's going to be the ooh and ah demo of the whole thing because yeah. they're going to have some first they're going right. to ha- have hired spectacularly good photographers. Yep. To take all the sample images, and then they're going to they're going to be perfect ones to show off when you flip a switch or you slide yep. your finger or something. You go from A to B, and everybody yep. goes whoa! And you can see what it's going to be. It's going to be a a, a yeah. winner that demo. Yeah, yeah,
1: I totally think so. Uh, before we leave the iPhone, I'd, I'd hinted a few minutes ago that not knowing the product names is a clue to German mm. sources. Like the product names, in my in my experience, there are that is like need to know basis within apple mm-hmm. and i think that the number of people even like who work in product marketing who know the name of the new iphone is probably pretty small
0: yeah names prices Yep, um, and, and it also means they're also changeable right like right. the hardware the hardware's been locked for, for ages now the software is basically locked um, although yeah they will have little bits but it's stuff that they've had to be working on for months yep. and months and months yep. names unless it's shipping that day and it's still the name is iPhone right they could literally ship a box that just says iPhone on it and it would yep. be okay so the names they, you can leave those pretty late in the game and prices you can really leave late in the game and so it's a very small group of people who are doing that in, in terms of marketing and, and PR and, uh, and they don't, they don't leak as much unless they I want to. I think they, they don't, the unless the company wants a leak, yeah. I think they don't, they don't leak as much. It, it comes from supply chain and it comes from kind of people in the broader, uh, company who know little bits about it and, yeah. and can leak those little bits. But I, my experience, I don't know. Um, do you remember when they did, um, mountain lion, and everybody expected there would be no OS update for like another year or six months. And um, we all got briefings uh, yeah. about Mountain Lion. And I, like, I literally didn't know what I was being briefed on. And I walked in and they said, yeah, there's a new version of OS ten. It's called Mountain Lion. And it's going to come out and, you know, we're going to announce it in two weeks. Yeah. And I, I just, nobody had been talking about it. And literally it was not, I mean, the embargo dropped and everybody's minds were blown. That's that. That was a really instructive thing for me about how buttoned up apple in cupertino in the marketing department could be because that was something that didn't leak and why didn't it leak because that not not very many people knew and nobody in the supply chain knew nobody outside of of infinite loop knew really
1: yeah and the i don't know how they do the the packaging like where where and how they make all the boxes for these phones but that's, you know, like here, my box here, I have one right here on my desk, and it says iPhone 6S. So right. somewhere there's somebody making all these boxes, and that could leak, but it's different than a regular supply chain. And it's notable that the phones themselves don't have the numbers on the back. They usually just say iPhone. Last year, they, they, they put the S underneath, but it just says right. iPhone S. And the iPhone SE has an SE underneath it on the back, etched into it, and that name did leak. Yeah. Because it's etched, it was etched on the things that they were making in the supply chain.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I wa- you wonder about like yeah the security of who who who's printing you know where wh- the boxes yeah where do they get printed and right. assembled and who is that and presumably that's all happening in China because they're shipping them direct from China. But I- I'm not saying too that you you couldn't you know you could hedge on the name if you wanted to, but the name was probably chosen. But yeah. it's a it's a smaller group and they can keep it buttoned up more easily and and you see that in a lot of reports where there are details from the the hardware side, but not from the marketing and marketing side, and that uh, allows us to keep some degree of um, of a, a mystery at yeah. least for a while. Often, you will see those reports happen like a day or two before the event when when they have to tell people, but th- those those people in the know can be really um secretive about it right now.
1: Yeah, and once, you know, boatloads of these things are uh, you know, en route or I, I guess yeah. they fly the first couple batches, I don't know, but once they're starting yeah. to put them on pallets and ship them, you know, across the Pacific Ocean, then there's obviously more sources for leaks. Right.
0: Then the jig is up. Although that's one reason why why they're not usually available today, right? right. <laughs> when they announce them is that they are not quite in the in the chain yet at that point to to keep some amount of of uh secrecy, I think. Right.
1: I wonder. I wonder how like how much that you know that, that they only do like a small number of boxes beforehand, so that they can give us the review units and stuff. But then once they announce it, is when all of a sudden like there's some place in China where they're start start printing yeah. out literally millions of boxes with the product name. <laughs> like go, because yeah, I would presume that they can print these boxes a hell of a lot faster than they can assemble phones.
0: Oh yeah, sure. I'm right? sure. I'm sure. It's probably a cool machine to see. Yeah, I was I was thinking I wonder if you could print on an assembled box, so like just keep the Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just keep the edge that says whether it's a 6SE or a 7 or something else and just stamp it. Probably not. They probably yeah. print it on the cardboard and fold it up.
1: Uh let's take a break before we talk about the Mac rumors. Um and let me thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is a photo decor company that is out to rescue your personal favorite photos, speaking of cameras, uh, from the digital ether. You guys know if you're a longtime listener of this show or other shows, you know it. This is a company that you send them your photos and they print them directly on glass. They don't print your photos on paper and then like glue the paper to glass or something like that. They have a proprietary process that is amazing where they print them directly on glass. I don't know how it works, but it looks amazing. They really pop. They have great vibrant color and contrast it just it just looks like an exquisite print of a photo And it is a great way to bring your photos to life. It is such a great thing, and it is such a lost thing that we – even I'm guilty of it. I have them as a regular sponsor, and I buy them all the time. And when I really think about it, I don't get enough of my pictures printed by Fracture. I'm going to get some printed after the show because I love them. I love having them around the house. Everybody loves having pictures hanging up on the wall. They look so great. It is amazing how good digital photos, even from your phone now, look when you get them printed analog on on something that you can actually touch um, I can't say how happy these every time I buy these fractures I can't tell you how happy they make me they even call it their happiness guarantee it's 60 days so buy it go if you don't just want to take my word for it buy it get them take a look at them and you have 60 days where if you're not happy with the print that you ordered uh, you can send it back and they don't care they do them they're handmade in uh, Gainesville Florida from US source supplies in a carbon neutral factory so you can feel good about that uh, here's what you do. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. <laughs> I love this note. URL ends in podcast, not the name of your podcast. FractureMe.com slash podcast, and you will get 10% off your first order. And then they're going to give you a, a survey, and it's got one question. And the question is, how would you hear about Fracture? And then that's where you say uh, the talk show or Daring Fireball or whatever you want to say. So go there. FractureMe.com slash podcast.
0: Love those. I'm, I'm surrounded by those right now yeah it, it's they're great it's it's yeah. it's
1: just so great i uh, I cannot say enough good things about this company and it's not really gift giving season in the middle of August, but my <laughs> God, it is the best it is the best gift for family people you could ever imagine it's like well, you they can... do
0: actually assemble them you know in in Florida so they they have limited uh basically they i think yeah. they they get busy at yeah. the holidays so yeah. it's not bad to order ahead yeah. quite honestly because yeah. they these are not they don't have just a factory where they can just turn it up they've got their 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 uh their people who make these either, themselves
1: either last year or the year before i remember doing a read where they specifically the read included like in bold print like you know order please, now <laughs> yeah please tell people to order by the end of november because by december 1st we might be backlogged past christmas yeah um, all right, back to German. So German had the second thing, and more recently, I think it was just a couple of days ago, he had a report on the new MacBook Pro. Yeah. And some of it... There was one bit that was new to me, I think, but the rest of it wasn't. The bit that was new to me was he said specifically that it is not a tapered design like the regular MacBook or the MacBook Air. It is still a symmetric thickness across the mm-hmm. side, which surprised me because I... I sort of thought that they would go to a tapered design that it would that that they would go it would be like like think of a MacBook Air but with the Retina screen.
0: Yeah, I mean they must just uh, this is a way to differentiate it. This is a way to have more room in there for battery and stuff. I, I mean, it sounds like it's still thinner. Yeah. Slightly thinner, he says. Yeah. But not tapered. That's a little surprising. I think I think that was the the going theory was that it would be more like the like the MacBook Air, yeah. or the or the MacBook, just a little bit more chunky than that. Yeah, so it's ch- chunkier still.
1: Part of my thinking it would be tapered is uh, it's three factors. One, Apple tends to make things thinner. I don't know. If, yep. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever thought about this or it's noticed. Jo-
0: jobs' is law. That's the Jobs' law, right there.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed, Jason, but over the years, <laughs> Apple tends to make devices thinner. Interesting. Uh, and going to a tapered design is a way to make it thinner in parts while still having you know. There's certain things that maybe require the thickness, and they can stick them in the back. Right. Uh, two is there was a report earlier this year from Ming Chi uh, the supply chain analyst over in Asia, who has very almost no sources, I think, within Apple itself, but some sub- very good supply chain sources in in the Asian countries where these factories are. Uh, and he reported he had a curious report about a 13 inch. MacBook, meaning like the twelve-inch MacBook that that we have today, the just plain MacBook, a thirteen-inch version, right? Which makes no sense whatsoever. Like twelve-inch and thirteen-inch is not enough differentiation, and the twelve-inch was just updated. Like if if they wanted to change the twelve-inch to thirteen, I could see that that would be believable. If they wanted to go back and have two versions, one eleven and one thirteen, like they used to with the Air. Uh, I could see that. But 12 and 13 isn't, It's you know, you got to have, like, small and large. You can't have, like, large and semi-large. It doesn't make any sense. So to me, that made sense only in the context that it wasn't a MacBook, that it was a MacBook Pro. And, you know, maybe he was just wrong, and there is no 13-inch tapered MacBook. Um, but that's just what I thought. And then the third factor is wishful thinking. <laughs> because yeah, sure. I, I've said this before. For years, my portable was an eleven-inch MacBook Air, and it was it it was really slow because it. I tend to the thing that I do that really slows down a Mac is I have like thirty or forty Safari windows open. Each, of, <laughs> I swear to God, yeah. I think I have like forty windows open here on my iMac. Each of them with like eight tabs, <laughs> and on the MacBook Air, that would really it, you know yeah. I'd have to call t- tab bankruptcy way more frequency than I want frequently than I wanted to because it just was slowing it down but the thing I loved about it and got addicted to and even two years into having this 13 inch MacBook Pro still can't get used to is when I take it out of a bag I turn put it set it in front of me the wrong way because the tapered design made it instantaneously knowable which is the front and which is the back and I still have if I want to do it visually I'm so old and I'm so used to the old Powerbooks that I still remember when the Apple logo looked right when you were sitting in front of it closed, not when it was right. open. And so I it, that doesn't help me either.
0: Yeah, I still have my 11-inch Air here. That's my laptop that I take around if I need to. And I thought yeah, I think there's a, a group of people who are like, "Well, that that MacBook is not for me, but I'm sure the new MacBook Pro will be smaller and lighter than the existing MacBook Pro, and that'll be close enough. And I think that I think that's the question here. And that's what you're getting at with sort of wishing that it's more of a wedge shape is the, the hope that it's, yeah, it's a MacBook Pro, but it's still really thin and light. Yeah. And that may not be, you know, that may not be possible uh, given that they do want it to truly be a pro and yeah. have the power that yeah. the MacBook doesn't.
1: Yeah, that that the the pro they're really serious about the pro at name part of the name and and that makes right. sense to me that you know because it is pro and they really want to emphasize graphics you know and there's according to German some options to have these really nice AMD graphics you know GPUs uh and other you know battery life and other things you know obviously it's easier to put a bigger battery in a device that isn't tapered so it makes sense um and maybe it still has the nicer keyboard if it's thicker because i kind of you know
0: i i assume that these are going to have a keyboard that's more like the magic keyboard um so different than the classic keyboard but not the macbook keyboard that's yeah. my that would be my guess is that they they engineered this other kind of keyboard for a reason and it's yeah. probably not just as an external bluetooth keyboard that this would be the basis of the of the of the macbook uh, pro keyboard too instead of the super thin macbook keyboard yeah, that makes sense to me. I hope so. Um
1: and the, I guess the other thing. Now again, this was, you know, rumored before, I think maybe from German. I probably from German when he was at nine to five Mac. And I've heard other things elsewhere, but that the function keys are being replaced. There will be no more function keys on the keyboard. The F one, F two, F three, and which most people use for the other purpose. They don't usually use them as function keys, but as the whatever the little icon is, you know, the volume up, volume down. Right. Uh, keyboard brightness, et cetera, that those are going away, and it'll be replaced with uh, an uh, LED touchscreen that will be Mm -hmm. software configurable. So it'll be like having uh, almost like an iOS device on the keyboard where you tap on these buttons that would be software configurable.
0: Right, which presumably means that then there will be a, when this is announced that all the, like, app developers are going to be given no time to be handed a new API <laughs> right. of, like, here's how you do this, and then they're going to have to kind of jump to it, or we're going to see slow adoption of it, which is the downside of having a, a fancy new bit of hardware that requires software adoption, because there'll, there'll be a lag. Um, I'm I'm a little skeptical of this. It, it, it's all about the implementation, but I'm I'm skeptical only in the sense that I don't look down at my keyboard a lot. Uh, right. <laughs> and and you you use it by feel and this is going to be an area that you presumably can't use by feel unless there's some other aspect to this that is not clear in these reports and that 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 concerns me like if you have to look down in order to mute your system because you don't know where the mute button is or if it's even visible that's uh that seems less good to can me can you can you hit the mute key
1: without looking i can't i can't use any of those at function keys without looking i can touch type but hmm. I even have to, I don't, I, I'm not even, I, don't know. I can't even touch type numbers. I have to look when I type numbers. I can only do the alphabet and the,
0: I do it some of the time I, I can, I can touch type some of them, some of the time. And sometimes I do look if I'm, if I'm not oriented, if my hands aren't on the keyboard, I think, um, I think it's true. But you, you know, that's the argument is that you just, you look, you glance down and and you tap. I also, I, I'm kind of excited. I used to have a, a Bluetooth keyboard that had a, a volume control, um, that was uh you it had a little strip that you just slid your finger on and i think that's interesting that some of the things we do with these with these devices like making the the brightness uh more or less or making the volume louder or quieter don't really have to be they're not even the best way to control them is not two keys or three keys it's probably it, because it's a it's a spectrum, and on a, on an right. iPhone you just you just slide a slider. Right. I could see that for something like this too, where instead of having keys to control the brightness of your display, there's just a brightness strip, and you slide your finger on it. Right, which is once you touch it, cool.
1: once you turn it, like the slider pops up next to it. Right, like you put yeah, your finger, yeah. put your finger on brightness, and then slide At- your finger to adjust.
0: Exactly. Even if you don't look, if you just, if you know where to land your finger for the brightness area, then at that point you're at wherever you are now and you just slide left or right Right. to make it brighter or dark or, or likewise with volume. And then if you want it quiet, you just touch the volume thing and slide to the left until it says it's muted. And that's, that's a better interaction than tap, 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 tap on a key. Yeah. Uh, I could see that, you know, I mean, and
1: uh, I, uh, for system wide stuff, I can definitely see it. I'm I, I it's not that I'm skeptical. It's just that I can't. I've yet to imagine a scenario where I would want per application stuff, and that's one of the things German said. The point was that you know, depending on what application you're in, you could have different things. So, you know, would it be helpful? Like if you're using Photoshop or or you know an image editor uh, to have the the tool palette on the keyboard. So that I guess you the could-
0: argument is like you know Final Cut users sometimes would have like stickers that they put on keys yeah, yeah, <laughs> in order yeah. to say like this is what I need to do to do this thing that you wouldn't need you could just have custom labels I mean yeah. it's just like with the iPhone you have the custom label so even if it's essentially the same as command shift option K or it's you know sh- you know, command F2 that instead of that it just has a thing that says you know split clip yeah. and, you, and you tap it and it does what you want yeah, I guess that I, would be the idea I
1: guess I guess there's some you know and it ties it back in with our earlier discussion about custom keycaps you know where i've seen like you I, i've seen that you can buy like if you use final cut as a professional you can get like especially not just stickers you could just buy a keyboard that has the you know the keys i think there's photoshop versions of that too
0: yeah well you know um on atp at one point a few months ago they talked about that i think there's a an incredibly expensive keyboard that has custom keys like the, they're like little screens oh <laughs> they, i have seen that
1: yeah and that's
0: Madness, but yeah. you know that 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 idea. So yeah, I mean it, it's it's true, and and you know, I could see Apple pitching it as being a way to unearth um, the most important uh, and little used features in your app in a way that, but you know, you can expose them by giving them their own dedicated space on the keyboard. Uh, I, I my fear is that Apple's going to have some really great examples with their apps, and then all the third party developers are going to be like, well you know and 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 they're going to not adopt it or they're going to do it badly um that we'll have to see cuz that's a that's a real challenge for like mac software developers suddenly have having to do this whole new approach to uh their UI which is this o- only on MacBook Pros by the way <laughs> right I, I don't know it's weird
1: well maybe presumably i would think if it takes off if there's any kind of traction with it whatsoever it will come to the regular MacBook next revision around and maybe we'll come to the magic keyboard yeah i mean maybe um, um i think it's a little weird as i as i think about it and imagine it i can imagine it being cool i can imagine it being a gimmick i'm not sold on it purely as an idea yeah um but i do think it's weird a weird mashup of touchscreens and the the abstraction of the pointer based mac os Right? That you've got a screen on the laptop that is abstract, meaning you have to use a trackpad or a mouse to move a pointer that is a representation of you in the system. Uh, and then to have an actual touch screen right there, right? It gets to the whole point of people thinking that they want touch screens on the Mac itself, which.
0: But it remains inside Apple's philosophy of it, which is that you don't go out of the out of the plane. You don't go perpendicular that people don't want to do the zombie arms thing, but, but if your hands are down on the keyboard and on a laptop, you know, you're looking at the screen, but you're also looking at the keyboard. It's Right. right there. You can't really look away from it. And that at the, you know, and then your fingers are already, you know, right next to that touch area. So you're not having to lift up and then reach out and touch the screen. So it does fit. It's a way for them to do touchscreen technology, uh, short of replacing the entire keyboard with a touchscreen <laughs> right. uh, while not kind of breaking their philosophy of not doing a touchscreen on the main screen.
1: Right, which would also require you to redo the entire UI of the Mac OS to make things of a size that would be amenable to being touched, which yeah. would make it all the controls incredibly large for everybody using a mouse, which would be which is one of the reasons why I don't think it's ever going to happen. It doesn't say, German doesn't say whether the... Um, Touchscreen strip for function keys, as he describes it, will be uh, taptic. I hope that it is because, it, to me, that would make it make a lot more sense because then you could navigate by feel a little better,
0: right? I don't know if you can though because if it if it's if it's a touchscreen, then if if you're running your finger over it, you're touching it unless unless it's pressure sensitive, right? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about this one. This is this is a real mystery where where not knowing anything but the existence of the hardware, right. we're left to put our own judgments on it that may have nothing to do with the the real approach and the real way Apple's going to explain it when yeah. they roll this out. Uh, it Also says it'll have
1: USB-C, but doesn't say how many right. USB-C ports. Famously, right, or, I don't or know. if
0: it's or or if they're removing USB yeah. at, altogether, or Thunderbolt, or is there a mix? It's just sort of like there will be USB. It will include USB C. Right. That's it. One of the, one of his sources said,
1: um, which ties back to my: How long will I be able to get away using an Apple extended keyboard? Too the adapter I have goes to regular USB, so. I yeah. you know you what? Show a USB C to USB
0: right. to ADB, just a chain, just to keep chaining them forever. <laughs> right. Eventually, though, right.
1: So I'll be able to keep going with a USB C only iMac if, let's say, the next when I replace this iMac, if that one only has USB C. Although I presume on an iMac, they're not going to get rid of the you know they can afford to just have a bunch of ugly ports because they hide them all on the back. Yeah, um, probably so i probably won't and that's where i use this keyboard i don't i've never used the i've never used it with a macbook um you know it doesn't make any sense to pl- plug a t- extended keyboard you know an external keyboard into a macbook so i'm not too worried about it but it makes me think wonder about you know at some point eventually i think before the uh the death of the mac i i wouldn't be surprised if i'm using a mac that doesn't have any ports at all other than power so yeah um, you know 10 15 years from now will i will I, will there be usb ports on a mac i don't know
0: well you'll be going from wireless standard to usb c to usb to adb at that point <laughs> yeah, i'm exactly. sure there'll be a, i'm sure there'll be a chain of adapters that you can use to keep using your 30 plus year old keyboard at that right. point i guess
1: that's what i'll need i'll need a usb port that uh, a, pl- a hub that goes to
0: wi- <laughs> wireless to wireless to, yeah. to
1: bluetooth eight
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure he also, uh, the other report in here that I thought was really interesting when we talk about sort of how he qualifies as sources at Bloomberg is, he says, Apple has also considered bringing space gray, gold, and silver. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. sil- silver it already is, but, but basically adding the other two colors that they have on the iPhones and on the MacBook to the new line, um, a person said. Right. And then he says, it's unclear if this will happen. So, basically, he had one person say that they were talking about it, and we don't know what the outcome is and if they're actually doing it or not. Just that they thought about it. Yeah.
1: I think they probably will.
0: I yeah. hope they do. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like... I mean, I've been... Um, on other podcasts, I've been complaining about this for a while now. Is I kind of miss the old days of, like, the colorful iPods and stuff. Mm. And even the colorful Macs, if you go back to the original iMac. um and, the, and they ended up having you know eight different colors of those. Yeah. I kind of miss that like we, we we were all silver apple products for so long. Um, and now we've got the gold and the space gray, and that's good. I think it's a good step, but I do I do feel sometimes I know that there's supply chain issues and and and, and store issues and, and all of that, but I do kind of miss having more personality and color. I'm like if somebody wants to buy a blue MacBook. They, I w- that would be great they w- they, I would love that but at least um, one of the things I like about the MacBook is that it isn't just the silver color yeah. you can get it in the gold or the rose gold or the or the space gray
1: yeah it's been a long time for me where there's one color for a MacBook and you're
0: yeah. gonna like it <laughs> I had the black MacBook when they made that and I loved that um, and then that was the last MacBook I had before I, sh- I switched to the MacBook Air and it's been all silver laptops I, that.
1: I saw someone in Starbucks with the black MacBook earlier this summer, maybe yeah. earlier this year. And it was in great condition. I mean, this guy really obviously cares for it because it, yeah. it, at a glance, at least, it, was, it certainly wasn't gr- grungy at all. Uh, and I, was bl- I, was, I had this moment where I was just like, whoa, what is that? that thing looks great. And then I realized
0: that what it was and I was, and then I, then I kind of saw how thick it was. And I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were more prone to fingerprints than the yeah. white ones, but I think they were more resilient overall because the white ones were super shiny. Yeah. And so they got scratched pretty easily, but the black ones were this matte color and at a, they at were a, more at a
1: glance, I thought it was gorgeous. The other one yeah. that I've had that I don't, I haven't seen one in years now, but long after it was discontinued, occasionally I would see the 12 inch. Uh, I think it was called a power book.
0: Yeah, twelve inch powerbook. The one that that was, my f- the one where the oh, keyboard
1: yeah. really went edge to edge.
0: Yeah, just like the MacBook. Now, I mean that was the yeah. that was the original edge to edge. This this laptop cannot be any wider than the keyboard, right. the full size keyboard. I and, love that. That was my favorite before the eleven inch air. That was my favorite laptop. I
1: I for years afterwards after its discontinuation, when I'd see one like at a press event or in a coffee shop or something, I'd have this moment of. Whoa, what brand computer is that? That is a hot look. That you know, like wow, Apple should get on that makes st- Oh, whoa. Oh. <laughs> yep. Cuz I knew it wasn't, you know, like the modern. I instantly did recognize it as something different than what you available now and instantly recognized it as something that was gorgeous.
0: Yeah, and but then, boxy because it's yeah, so thick now. But yeah. but in terms of the width, I mean, it was it was incredibly small, some, yeah. way smaller, smaller than the MacBook because the screen was so much smaller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but then but then super thick.
1: Yeah, it it yeah. had there was a certain elegance to the way that the keyboard looked edge to edge, where it's sort of like the same appeal as like those infinity pools, like it just mm. looks I, I, something in my brain registers that as beautiful. Like it's the same way. Like there was somehow instead of being awkward that there was no edge around it 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 the proportions were so nice that it just looked sharp
0: like really i I always felt i always felt that that computer was like a keyboard that had a computer around it that it was like the computer and the keyboard were just all part of the same thing in a way because of that design i i yeah that was my that was my favorite the 11 inch took it over as my sort of favorite apple laptop ever but for a long time, it was that that twelve inch. And the MacBook is is kind of kind of owes something to that now, but uh, it's not quite the same.
1: Yeah, uh, there's a framing device in Gurman's story that I don't buy at all, which uh, is that and and if you watch the video he did with Bloomberg TV, they emphasize it too, which is sort of like Apple is doing this new MacBook Pro because iPad sales have tapered off and the iPad didn't really succeed at being the replacement for laptops. I mean, here's, I'll just read his words. This year's MacBook Pro overhaul is aimed at increasing notebook sales at a time when consumers are taking longer to buy or replace iPads. Apple Research suggests customers upgrade iPads roughly every three years while they buy new iPhones every 18 to 12 months, according to a person familiar with Apple strategy, which blah, blah, blah. That, I, that has nothing to do with why this MacBook is coming out now.
0: It's, yeah, it's, it, it sounds it's, to me like he had a tidbit, which is that Apple Research is, yeah. ha, seems to have twigged on what the buying pattern is for the iPad, which we've all been wondering, Like, what is the cycle? And it sounds like his sources suggest that Apple thinks it's three years. Um, But it doesn't seem to have, I mean, like they weren't going to update the MacBook Pro. If the iPad was doing great, they were just never going to update it again. I think most people would say that it's surprising it's taken them this long. Right. Because they were waiting out Intel and Intel had some issues and they thought they could skip a generation and get away with it. But then they got bitten and now they're like, now it's too long.
1: 440 days or something like that.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. And, well, it's very clear that they thought that they could get away with skipping that one Intel processor generation and and skating by because the next one was going to be great, and then the the next one got had issues, and now here we are. But um, you know, yeah, I don't why, think it has anything to do with the iPad.
1: <laughs> yeah, why why has it taken so long for this iPad, this new MacBook Pro, to come out? And we're speaking about it as though it's out, and it's not out yet. And no, we can even it may
0: not be out until October or November, right. even.
1: Um and i think with you said, this i don't think with this in particular like that the mac pro is a totally different story and I, I don't know what is going on there because it's been 9 years or not not 9 years but yeah it feels like it <laughs> it's, it's been about 9 years since it came out 3 years without any updates at all and that it, there's the story on that has to be more complicated and and might be more worrisome to people who really depend on those 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 machines. With the MacBook Pro though, I think the story is exactly what you said. I think that there was an Intel generation of chips that Apple thought they could skip and wait for the next one in this because it's like, why do a new version of the MacBook Pro of the old, you know, MacBook Pro as we know it with just with a new chipset when this new thing is coming when and we have all these plans for the you know keyboard and it's going to be thinner. Um we'll wait, you know, we'll wait and we'll wow them with that. And it's taken longer than they thought it would, because it's too many. They sell too many of these. Like it's easy to say that their eye is off the ball on the Mac Pro because it just doesn't sell in high quantities. But the MacBook Pro is a big money maker.
0: It really is. I think it's their. I, I mean, my my money would be on it being their number one Mac that they sell, right? Because they sell t- somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of the Macs that they sell. They don't break it out anymore. I right. think so. We we can't tell, but it's a. Uh, It's a huge number. The majority of the Macs sold are laptops. They're not desktops. They're laptops. And I would think... That I mean, MacBook Air probably isn't selling very well now. The MacBook is probably doing okay, but MacBook Pro—that's the workhorse. That is, at a normal time, that's got to be the 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 most important of all the Mac products.
1: And certainly by revenue and profit, because if it's not quite there in quantity, it's a much higher price. Especially, and because it attracts pros, it I'm sure that more people buy them and max out the storage and the RAM and stuff like that, and the graphics. You know, whereas the people who buy certainly the people who are buying MacBook Airs. Are buying them for the price at this point because the specs aren't there, the screens aren't retina. Um, whereas people buying the Pros might be buying the ones that cost you know twenty five hundred dollars. So by by revenue, it's got to be. So I I think Apple is as is internally furious about the delay on this. So the other yeah. thing, Gurman reports, and you you alluded at it, Gurman says that they're not planning to uh, debut them at the event next month, which I expect to be on September seventh, and. That's just mainly just going by history, which is that for the last three or four years, they've had an event somewhere around this is like March 7th to th- or, or September 7th to 11th, 12th, something like that. And if you look at the calendar, March or September 7th is the day. It's a Wednesday, yeah, and the Monday, two days before, is Labor Day, which is why they're not having it on Tuesday.
0: Exactly right. Well, it was two years ago, it was the 9th. And right. I think last year was the 8th, and I think yeah. that making it the 7th this year makes makes a lot of sense. If, they, if they're sticking with that pattern, that'll right. be when it is.
1: Um, I would have expected, and again, I have no inside information on this whatsoever, but just based on the fact that last year they used one event uh, to do everything that was coming out in the yep. fall— including the iPad Pro which wasn't coming until late October that even if these MacBook Pros aren't coming till October that they would use this one event to to unveil them. And the one thing I do know just from last year was talking to people at Apple that it was definitely purposeful a purposeful decision to go to one one event in September for everything they were going to do that fall instead of what they had done in the previous few years, which was a biggish event in September and then a smallish event, usually at town hall in Cupertino in October that they found that too too hard to do back
0: to back yeah you know i I think I think they could announce them at the event and just say look we we love the Mac and we have a whole bunch of new Mac stuff and here's a really quick look at where the Mac is going this fall and they would say this is coming out in October this is coming out in November of course Sierra's out now blah 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 we're done um, they could do an event also i mean i know people don't like it when i say this but there are apple can release products without an event yeah and for something like the Mac which we all love but at the same time is a small part of apple's bi- overall business now is it the end of the world if Apple does a you know a MacBook Pro press release? I mean, it, it would be a whimper, but they could they could also do a really small event somewhere. They've done that before, where it's a Mac event and it's got a very limited invite and it's town hall. I and think yeah. they could even do that. I don't think they're ever going to go back to town hall, but yeah. they got options. They they don't have to give it. 30 minutes on stage on September 7th.
1: Yeah, my guess is that they either give it 30 minutes on stage September 7th or they'll release it without an event and do product briefings.
0: Yeah, they'll do briefings and press release and big website. And, you know, I mean, the fact is Apple can release a product without an event and still get lots of press coverage because they invite their, you know, key journalist contacts to pre-briefings and give them an embargo and... And then, you know, one day you wake up and suddenly all of these reviews are posting about the new MacBook that just was announced.
1: Yeah, I think when they do the briefings, there's obviously fewer press than at an event, but it's not it's not super exclusive either. Like, I remember um, when the watch came out. Uh, I, I there was an event in March that was the year that I couldn't travel because of the eye surgery, right. but they didn't give them. They didn't have watches to give out yet. And then when they did, they did they did product briefings in New York and and on campus in Cupertino for you West coasters. Um, so I went to New York, but it was tons and tons. I mean, a big big operation. I mean, it was it wasn't just like oh they invited three people and they're right. going to give them a watch. I mean, it was a, 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 an operation.
0: Yeah, although that's that's in part perhaps because they thought they would be able to give them out at the March event yeah. and
1: they couldn't. But <laughs> but know. they can do that with the MacBook, I'm they, sure.
0: They they certainly absolutely could. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm trying to think anything else about the MacBook Pros. I don't think so. I
0: don't know. I mean, I I, I just we mentioned the seven years it's been since the Mac Pro got updated. I do yeah. think that that's a that's an overarching question that that um we still need an answer to is what's going on with the rest of the Mac line yeah. be- other than the MacBook that it's all kind of... Th- th- this would be the season. This fall would be the season where they would do a, a at least a speed bump on the iMacs and maybe the Mac Mini and certainly a story about what's going on with the Mac Pro. And it sounds like... Th- you know, they're working on that stuff. I've seen reports that all of that stuff is in process. Um, and it's just a question of when does it get formally announced and shipped? And yeah. it sounds like we may end up with a fall where the entire Mac line turns over, except yeah. for the MacBook.
1: And yeah, I, <laughs> I hope so.
0: Yeah, we yeah, it would be I nice. really do.
1: Because um, it is, you know, it's damn curious if you want to use a Mac Pro that you have to buy a three year old computer.
0: I can't. I can't even believe they're still selling them. I mean, it, it's almost uh, unconscionable that those products are still for sale because they're so outdated now.
1: It would be fascinating to know how many of them they're actually selling because, even more than the MacBook Pro, it, it it's almost certain that nobody goes in and accidentally, or just on a whim, buys a Mac Pro, right? Like, this, right. it's it, it re- truly is the most pro of all of any computer they sell it's very expensive it requires a display uh you know
0: i wonder if they're selling them to institutional sales now where they actually buy a bunch of them and they give them a big discount and yeah you can buy them on on the apple store on apple.com but that maybe if they're selling any it's really that and and it's to to people that they they need a mac pro and they need it today Uh, they need a hundred of them
1: i can totally see though how a lot of people coming in to buy a mac a MacBook of any sort or an iMac, they have no idea when the last time it was revised and they don't care. Sure, Just look at it. It looks yeah. great and it seems to be very, it's very fast right there in the store. Here, I'll buy it. Whereas the Mac I- Pro is only selling to people, whatever the reason, whether they're, you know, videos, v- editors or photographers or developers, they're selling to people who know that this, <laughs> this is a three-year-old yeah. computer and I, you know, and they, and people who know a know that it's old b know that it's no longer a good value for the dollar, and c know that it's going to physically pain them to buy one and then have a new one <laughs> come out in short order.
0: Exactly. Also, I wouldn't feel bad buying an iMac now, even knowing that yeah, I would be an either. iMac in the fall because the i that that the 2015 update to the iMac. I mean, those are those are good modern fast systems. Right. It's not the same situation. They're all faster than the Mac Pro too, basically. So yeah. Uh, I don't even feel baffling.
1: Uh, I got the first 5K iMac. I'm yeah, I have got right that now. And me too. I don't even feel bad about that one, even nope. knowing that the next one came with the increased color gamut, which is gorgeous, but which I, I don't, I'm never going to see it side by side with this one. And this one still looks drop dead. This display is the best display I've ever had. So yeah, I, I don't even feel bad about that.
0: Yeah, I'm colorblind, so I really, I mean, I, oh, I, can, yeah. see color. I can see color, but I'm, I don't appreciate some of the finer details of color yeah. and the color gamut thing. I, I basically, I can see it a little bit, but yeah, it doesn't make me feel sad. Um, I got the Core i7. Um, it, yeah, this is the i7 iMac. I, I did the build-to-order of the high-end. It's like, it's the most powerful Mac I have ever owned. I'm just, even though it's a 2014, I'm happy with it.
1: It's awesome. Um, Friend of the show, Craig Hockenberry is doing uh, from the. He's developer at Icon Factory. Um, yeah, he's doing uh, a lot of research into uh, color technology. Long story short, I helped yeah. him out, but I looked at he had an image like a uh, whatever you want to call it, what's deep resolution, whatever that's called the 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 extra you know the the extra color.
0: It's like the wide color gamut. The wide color the. gamut.
1: He had a photograph that that took advantage of it, and. I looked at it at the on the iMac and then I looked at it on the the iPad Pro, which is the I think the only device I have that has that
0: the nine point um, seven, yeah,
1: yeah. And I could see the difference, but it it was yeah. not a heartbreaking difference. It was a wow, Apple's really killing it with the uh, with these displays. But it did not break my heart that my iMac doesn't have it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's I think that's exactly right. If I were a photographer working in in that. You know color space, uh, and being frustrated that my display couldn't right. properly display it, then I would I would jump on it. if, but, it, if it was yeah.
1: Retina versus non Retina, then I would just pick Forget up it. this iMac and throw it in the garbage, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and head to the Apple Store.
0: Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. So I I feel like uh, like Mac. Uh, what is it? Mac Rumors saying don't buy an iMac. It's like yeah, you know. You could buy an iMac. I suppose if you're reading Mac Rumors, you're savvy enough, yeah. but it's like you could buy, I, I think you could buy an iMac. If you need and it, it. be fine. If you need Yeah, it. If you have yeah, the need, it,
1: you should definitely do it,
0: I would say. Yeah, because it'll, it'll get better in the fall, there's no doubt, but it's already pretty great. That's yeah. a, that's a, it's going to be fine, but the Mac Pro, no idea. MacBook Pro, same thing. So I hope. I guess that's what I'm saying is I hope that there's more behind this exciting MacBook Pro, which is absolutely should be the number one thing on the on the list of of Mark Gurman reporting about it. Yeah. Um, but I hope behind that there are a, a raft of even if it's just sort of speed bump announcements of yeah. all the rest of the Mac line.
1: Intriguingly, not mentioned in Gurman's report is anything about the displays, including. Uh, pixel sizes and including um like pixel count of the new iPhones wow. and and whether they're going to get the wide color gamut and the uh the room temperature the the temperature sense shifting what are, what's right. what do they call that feature I don't have an iP- iPad uh true tone true tone which i kind of here's what I, even though Gurman didn't mention it i'm just going to guess that it does have true tone
0: yeah because i'm going to i'm going to guess that yeah
1: Because, here's why I'm guessing that, A, it's their flagship device, and the best stuff usually comes to iPhone first, and if it doesn't come first, it's like off by six months, which would be exactly right with the True Tone. And when it was introduced, Schiller said, once you get used to it, you can't go back, (laughs) which makes me think that maybe Schiller already knew that he wouldn't have to worry about missing it on his iPhone
0: yeah I, I, I agree I think I think Apple is committed just just as it was obvious a few years ago that Apple was committed to bringing retina to the entire product line yeah. I think Apple is committed to bringing the wide color gamut and the true tone stuff to certainly the ios line and probably probably with the true stuff even the yeah. mac line at some point because i think they've decided that this just improves the user experience that if you're in a place with yellowy light then you ought to match the white point on your display and you can turn it off I and mean, people freak out sometimes they're like oh you're messing with my colors. like well you can turn it off but right. a lot of people would prefer to have the the computer screen color match the light of the room color. And I think Apple thinks they've got a winner with it, that it's a kind of a crowd-pleasing feature. Um, and all it really takes, I mean, they've, they've got the new screen technology, but they seem to have that down now. And you need, uh, you need a light sensor that, that is more than just uh, you know, a one-bit light sensor because you've got to detect the color temperature of the room. That's yep. it. You're done.
1: That's it. Yeah. And it's just another little chip in the pile of here's the year-over-year improvements. That exactly you know are in the iPhone that you know everybody will <laughs> not everybody but you know that the press at large will sigh and say that's it,
0: <laughs> but sure. it's
1: it's exactly the sort of feature that on a checklist of what's new in the new iPhones this year versus last year's models is easy to poo poo but is just like once you know one iteration after another of all of a sudden you know. Two, three, four years down the road, you've got a device that absolutely blows away, you know, the, the old iPhone.
0: And if the average buying cycle on a phone is two years, and it probably still is, even though some people will upgrade every year and other people will wait maybe now, especially now that there's the different financing options, it might wait two and a half, three years. Right. If two is the sweet spot, then, you know, Apple really only needs to make half the case for an upgrade every year because you're not upgrading from the 6S, you're upgrading from the 6. And now you've got to add all the 6S features and all of the whatever this new phone is features together when you make the case to buy an upgrade.
1: Totally agree. All right, let me take a break. Thank our third and final sponsor. This is a great new sponsor. I love this company's product, Eero, E-E-R-O. Here's the whole company, Eero, is founded on the idea that Wi-Fi is broken. Uh, And their analogy is imagine if, like, the electricity in your house was better in some spots than others. Like if you plug in your device, your phone to charge it in your living room, it, it's great. But if you plug in same plug, put it in your bedroom and it's like half the, half the speed, half the, half the charge. Electricity doesn't work like that, but that's exactly what wifi is like in the house. And it's fundamental that wifi, the signal of wifi does not go through walls easily. It's not meant to. It goes through the air. Uh, So if you live in a house or a home or an apartment that has walls and floors, like a lot of us do, uh, your Wi-Fi signal degrades. So Eero is a system uh, of little puck-shaped devices, sort of roughly the size of an Apple TV, except they're white. They look like an Apple device. They're very cute, little round squares, little pucks, very small, very nice. You just get a couple of them. And like their default is like a three pack and you strategically place them around their house. You only put one, plug one into your cable uh, or whatever it is that you, where your internet comes from. And then you use their app and it's an I, iPhone app. It's a really nice app and you configure the network. And then all of a sudden they do all the hard stuff. You get like effectively like a professional, uh, uh, uh I don't know what you would call it. Like a, a, like a, if you had like IT experts, networking experts come into your house and set up like uh, a Wi-Fi system with a bunch of devices, that's what you get with Euro except you don't have to be a networking expert. You just plug them in, put them around the house on different floors, rough. They, their recommendation is one for every thousand square feet. Uh, a three packs, a good starting point and you use the app to set it up. It's great. It is so easy. It is so easy. Uh, I, I, 30 day money back guarantee you can't can't regret it so if you set it up and it's not better uh you can always return it and if you want to you can even return one of them like if you get the three pack or a four pack and you end up with two saturate your house with solid wi-fi well then send the other one back that's great um it really is a terrific product. If you don't believe me, search for the reviews. Walt Mossberg wrote a great review of it. Uh, really, that's the first place I heard of it, even before they sponsored it. It really just works. It, it, it really is exactly what you think. Totally simple Wi-Fi system that saturates your whole house with really strong Wi-Fi uh, signal. So can't say enough good things about them. Go to uh, iro.com. And remember the code, the talk show, the talk show. Use that code. And you know what you get with that? You get free overnight shipping. So go there, go to Eero, see it. When you order, use the code the talk show. And if you're listening right now, do it like right after the podcast ends, you'll have them tomorrow. They'll be there like free overnight and that's for free. So can't beat that. My thanks to them. I have them installed here. It is a great Wi-Fi network. Couldn't be easier. Couldn't be a better signal. Eero.
0: Yep. Got them here too. They're great.
1: It's, I, I that read went on long, but it 's because i 'm so enthusiastic about the yep. product i i yeah. cannot i I really rolled my eyes when they sponsored it first because I thought, well i know they 're going to want me to st- I, if i 'm going to talk about it i got to set it up, and i thought it was i really really thought. I don't want to spend an hour setting up a Wi Fi thing in my house that I'm just going to have to disconnect my closet <laughs> yeah. when I'm done. It's, it seemed like way more, you know, it's being a podcast, it's easy to get lazy and think that that's hard work. But A, it didn't take an hour. It's like it, it took like 15 minutes. And uh, B, it's, it was like better than my old uh, Wi Fi. So yeah. <laughs> I was like,
0: oh. Yeah. I think there's a great benefit in designing a Wi Fi system for multiple routers instead of just the single base station that most of them are are designed for and it and it shows with that product yeah yeah
1: and in you know here in philly every you know everybody lives townhouse so it's you know we have lots of floors it's not you know I, the floors are probably the bigger problem in my house than the walls because it's, we live
0: right because you're vertical
1: yeah right and it's and the cable is on it's not in the middle
0: it's down below so. <laughs> yeah that's hard
1: no it really is it's amazing um I've said it before. It's I know. It's, I guess uh, the read continues to go on. But uh, in our garage, <laughs> we never got good Wi-Fi in the garage before we had the Eero, and it was a problem in the garage because it would often be like you'd want to you'd get in the car and you'd be like, oh, I wanted to you know I wanted to open Overcast and download. You know, finish downloading podcasts. Uh, but with like a media, it was like a. There's enough of a signal, easily enough of a signal that it wasn't going to LTE. It was right. still on Wi-Fi. But it was like when you see two bars on the Wi-Fi, that means like you, you know you're on like a 56k modem, <laughs> right? Like that. If you don't have all the bars on the Wi-Fi, you're screwed. Yeah. Anyway, Ero. Uh, you want to talk about uh, Rick Tedzelli's fast company? Piece? Or, or I guess there was a second piece too there was an interview with uh, uh St. John
0: Right, that Mark Sullivan did but uh, Rick Rizzoli yeah. wrote the main piece
1: Yeah, I listened to your show your upgrade with uh, Mike Hurley and uh, I thought it was interesting you guys both seemed a little non uh, it's like the, the casual the new meaning of nonplussed like not <laughs> that enthusiastic about I loved this story I really did and I thought you and Mike were surprisingly like. Eh, I didn't really, I didn't really well,
0: learn anything. To, to be fair, one of the things about that podcast is we recorded on Monday morning, and so like literally, I woke up, saw that there was this story, read it, and then we did a podcast about it. So it was I was like, surprised
1: like, when I heard it. I was like, "Wait, I just read the story." I was, ru- <laughs> I went for a run, and I was listening to your show, and I was like, "How are they talking about this?" And then I realized that the air date of the podcast was like, I, I literally must have downloaded it as I left the the yeah. the, the house.
0: The Wi Fi radius kept you allowed you to download it. Um, yeah, I, I part of it for me is that I see the artifice behind it, and I it's just it's most people won't ever see that. But as somebody who has written and edited magazine features before, I, I looked at this and I thought, okay, I can see why this thing is constructed the way it is. And also, part of it is some of my own personal bias where I look at a story that begins with like a lengthy anecdote about the surroundings of. Apple and um, and you know running into Eddie Q and describing what he's wearing and the temperature in Cupertino and all of that. And there are two ways to view that. And one is, this is a feature story. He's setting the scene. He's letting his readers get the sense of who these people are and what this place is like. Um, and that that is how it's intended. As, a, as an editor, I also look at that and think, um, you're, you know, you don't have you don't have a lot of material to pack in here. So you have the, you know, you have the room to tell a story. And in fact, you kind of need to tell a, 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 weave a story here and some imagery uh, because th- th- you know, that's, that's part of what you've got is the access. And that maybe you don't have, you know, if you had Tim cook saying something, you know, pretty profound and deep in terms of pronouncement you probably lead with that but you don't so you lead with the atmosphere and it's like i, I kind of get the artifice of that and, and part of it is just yeah as somebody who's been to apple and has talked to and talked to a lot of these people for me i read that story thinking what are they going to say that's new and describing Cafe Max and the smell of the chicken masala doesn't do it for me. So part of it is that too. So I, I, like I, mean, to I come like, with my biases.
1: I that. like that though.
0: I really did. I did that a
1: couple years ago. I think it was the time that you're talking about where Apple, Apple called us in for a briefing where they didn't tell us what the product was. And I had a briefing with Schiller in New York. And yeah. they said they, they made clear to me that the whole thing was on the record. I was like, all of it. I can just right. write about all of it. And so, and really instead of writing about the, the version of macOS that they showed me, I wrote what it was like to have the product briefing with Schiller <laughs> and Apple did not like that. I, I was, I was then told that there was a, a quote unquote grouper clause added to future on the record <laughs> briefings where it's the, what's being talked about, the product is on the record, not the,
0: Yeah, not not the the quotes. And don't, yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten read that riot act too. So thanks for that. Uh, But no, it's, you know, it's, it's all about what you want to get out of it. um, And how you, I think it's a fine story. I think it's got some good stuff in it. I think it's, you know, it's interesting that it was done a while ago because it's clearly been held for a a magazine deadline because they still apparently publish in print. Good for them. Um, And so it's like from when the Warriors lost the. NBA Finals, which right. is a while ago now, so it's not like it's it's kind of breaking news. But they did get access. Um, it's not, you know, again I read between the lines and think they didn't get a lot of time with Tim Cook and a lot of time with Eddie Cue and Craig, Craig Federighi, but they got some. And it's a, and it's a I think it's a perfectly nice piece. I think the, the thing that impressed me most about it is that it cited all of the misconceptions about Apple without buying into them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard for a magazine piece or really any piece to do, where usually you either see pieces that are denying the conception, or you see them buying into it entirely. And this piece didn't didn't do that. This piece was like, this is how it's perceived, um, but there are lots of reasons why that may not actually be accurate. And I was impressed that he walked that line, because nuance is really hard to do, and, and I, I think he did a good job with it.
1: I think he really... Did a good job of painting a picture of what Apple in 2016 is, you know, and and it's true, and it's an interesting amount of time uh, post Steve Jobs. Is uh, am I off by mm-hmm. a year here? I'm pretty sure it's five years. I think it was 2011. Where, where I think you're right. Right around now in August, they Steve announced that he was uh, stepping aside as CEO to become chairman of the board, and then yep. it was October when 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 he died yeah so five years is you know it's sort of a round number and it's an interesting period of time and it's been a very strong five years for apple you know they mentioned in the article that the head the company's employee count is doubled in that time um certainly their finances have imp- you know for whatever how much hand-wringing you want to give over the year over year decreases in the last two quarters overall their those two quarters are still above 2014 and, you know, it's just the uh, abnormalness of 2015 with the uh, abnormal success exactly. of the iPhone 6. Um, that, you know, and again, not good, but still overall, the company is way bigger financially and profits and revenue and, and you know, number of just number of users than they were five years ago. It's, it truly is um, a- Apple, the industry behemoth now. They mm-hmm. are. I mean, there's no other way to avoid it. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot, like it, big picture Apple stuff. You know, as a commentator and columnist, that I think in my heart I liked Apple, the little company, better. You know, sure it it was more appealing to me personally. And oh,
0: I mean, it's it's you're a Star Wars fan. It's like you're rooting for the Rebel Alliance when yeah. it's it's old Apple. And now I, I had this conversation with my friend Greg Noss, who knows everybody on the internet, apparently, uh, who I went to college with. And he was saying, you know, it's kind of hard to root for Apple these days. This was a few years ago. but or, or to even do something like read the Macalope, because it was one thing when they were the underdog and they were the rebel. But now they're kind of like the big guy. And it doesn't make me, you know... Uh, I don't know. There's just the tone is different. The feeling is different. And and you you're right. This article gets it. I mean, I think the maps anecdote was the most is the most illuminating mm-hmm. thing in it. And it's illuminating in so many different ways. Like they talk about they talk about the fact that they were kind of in a bubble where all the maps in California were good, or in Cupertino, or in the Bay Area were good, and so they didn't realize they had data problems, and that they thought. thinking like old Apple, which was, we have to do this with a very small team um, because we have to do it and nobody's really disputing that they had to Mm -hmm. do their own maps data, but they like, they had this little team that did it and they were kind of undersized and underpowered and it was a disaster and now they, they said like it went from a couple dozen people or dozens of people to like more than a thousand people working on maps now and, and I thought, I thought that's, that's that moment where you realize the old playbook doesn't work for like, you, you have to do this thing. Right this maps thing because it's it's key to your business and the future products that you do that you have your own your own source of map data okay um, but you can't you know you can't do it in the old way which is put a small team on it and have them kind of hack something together you actually have to spend a huge amount of money and hire a whole bunch of people and and make it really good everywhere in the world. And that was, I I mean, I thought that was really interesting, not just because they say this is the reason why there are public betas now, because they need to test it more broadly than their insular community, but also just because what it says about how they need to embrace the fact that they are playing on a much larger stage and the stakes are higher and they can't, there's some stuff they can't do the old way just because that's not who they are anymore and that's not the game they're playing anymore.
1: Uh, a thousand employees... I mean, they don't say what they're doing. Like, are, are, the, are these people who are just driving cars? Driving cars? Is, yeah, that's what, that was I, my thought. Is I, is, I, it is can't is be Apple. engineers because there's a you know there's a, a too, you know too many chefs spoil this soup. Aspect, right, but you,
0: or, you know, but there's all the there's all the data, and yeah. there's probably working with data sources, and there is driving the cars. I do wonder sometimes when they say Apple's employees have doubled, how much of that is retail and people like driving around right. cars? Right, <laughs> I don't, I don't know.
1: And just manually going through the reports that people submit of right place, places and maps, and just the grunt work of oh, that's that's no longer a laundromat now that that was raised, and now it's a, a townhouse. You know, exactly. Um, but. It, a thousand employees with an average salary of a hundred thousand dollars—that's a hundred million dollars a year. I mean, mm-hmm. and even if it's lower than that as an average, because some of them are are doing more menial tasks and they're not like engineers or something. Even if you have that to fifty thousand, you know, uh, that's still fifty million dollars a year. That's a significant investment, and I think it's exactly an example. Of, again, one of my favorite parts of the story. Um, it, it is exactly the under Tim Cook, Apple is an industry behemoth that can do something like create a thousand person mapping division. Whereas the Apple of, you know, when, when they unveiled the maps and Steve Jobs was the CEO was, I I don't even know if they considered a big team. Like every, every team at Apple is a small team. That's just, that was the Apple way of doing things. Um,
0: and I don't want it to come across that like, oh, Apple is spending money like a drunken sailor now, because that's not the case. In fact, I know for a fact that Apple still. I think. I think Tim Cook. This is one of the ways that where Tim Cook and and Steve Jobs really were similar um, in their in their disposition is that it hurts them to spend money and hire lots of people. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't. They don't. They don't want to do it. Apple is not managed as. As if they had more than a hundred billion dollars in the bank, even though they do. As if they weren't generating seven, eight, nine right. billion dollars in profit every single quarter. Right? They're not managed like that. They every hire is scrutinized. Th- every team there's always question like, does this team need to be any bigger? It's true. So that's why it makes this map thing such a big yeah. step for them to be like, you know, if we think this is what we need to do, or the car thing potentially, if we're going to do it, we have to do it, and that means. Hiring lots of people and spending lots of money because we're not a small company anymore. We are a company that has huge revenues and huge profits, and if we want to, if we want to stay that way, we have to spend money. I think that
1: institutionally, I know, I know from the various friends I have who worked there and acquaintances that the people at Apple, and this came from Steve Jobs, and it's in, one of those things that quote unquote is instilled in the company's DNA. They are deathly afraid of making bad hires.
0: And, and oh yeah,
1: not in terms of talent, although that's part of it. But in just in terms of whether people get the Apple way, and that yep. you know that that there's nothing that would sink the company faster than than you know including it with with bad hires, Bozo, uh, and, and bozos.
0: <laughs> bozos, that's right. And, and the same um, uh, same goes for if you speed hire, if you hire a right. lot of people, if you staff up really quickly, the danger there is that some percentage of those people are going to be bozos. Right. And, and that's why Apple's teams have traditionally been so small. They are so careful about it. They are run. I think it's not, um, you know, Apple's near-death experience Um, And and the the discipline of the way the culture changed when Steve came back and they they got away from that near-death experience, it informs the culture to this day. I think they have to fight when they do things like this. They have to fight against it because it is a different place that they're in now. But I see that, you know, my dad grew up in the Depression and he lived his entire life. Being incredibly concerned about what money was being spent on what and all of that and and reusing things and fixing yeah. broken things that most people would just throw out because right. he had that experience in the Great Depression. And I feel like Apple has that in their culture, too. Like, we almost went out of business. And so we're going to be really careful about every dollar we spend, even though we've got $100 billion in a mattress somewhere.
1: Yeah. I think that the debut of Apple Maps is one of the greatest stories that's really never been told. You know, From what I know, I know more than what was in the story. But it's it's like nobody really has it, and part of the reason nobody has it is that Scott Forstall has never broken his silence, I, even right. off the record. Like he stood to this date has never said a goddamn thing about <laughs> anything. He's other than that when he popped up when he was producing that play on Broadway, which had nothing right, exactly. to do with Apple. But he's never leaked a damn word, uh, you know, about his time at Apple. Uh, and my understanding, and again, this isn't—it's not from a source that I could ever. I, I feel like I can podcast it, but I can't write it. But I spoke to someone at Apple, not high up. It was just, it was just like run-of-the-mill person who worked at Apple, uh, but was in management, um, and said that the word on the street in 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 Apple was that he had a two-year, um, you know you you can't talk clause. So that,
0: that gardening leave kind of yeah. thing where they're pay, they're paying yeah. him and he doesn't say anything and that's right. part of his severance or right. whatever right that yeah. it
1: was a very simple deal it was a a dump truck full of cash and and you keep your mouth shut for 2 years and that was yeah. it but they, and even if that's off by a year or two it's expired i, I you know i mean it's possible know, it may, it, it's possible to it keep your mouth shut about apple forever yeah, but you, but that, you but can the, talk about yeah, I don't know. That's unlikely, though. You know, I mean, it's it just seems like those packages are usually, and I think it's by choice. I think it just, you know, it's that's the you know, unsurprising that someone who is so successful under Steve Jobs for his entire career and within Apple uh, would it be of the nature to keep his mouth shut even afterwards, right? It's how do you how do you fill a company, you know, how do you how does the company keep its mouth shut collectively by hiring people who keep their mouths shut,
0: right? So anyway, my impression, my impression too, is that. Is that maps may have been the precipitating factor for him to be kicked out, but that, that you know, if this was yeah. the one mistake he had made, that he would still be there. That was not, this was the precipitation, yeah. not, the, yeah. not the crime. But anyway, all no, no. of that
1: is to say, though, that nobody could write the definitive thing on maps unless they could get, get forestall to open up, because otherwise it's, it's all one-sided, you know. And there is a sort yeah. of throw forestall under the bus nature to totally. it, but that is my understanding of actually what happened. The yeah. gist of it, of it, like I don't even know how the part of it that doesn't get talked about is the, the whole negotiations with Google aspect, where their their agreement with Google to use Google Maps in iOS was running out and needed to be renewed, um, and so Google knew, and Google knew that uh, Apple wanted vector maps. Remember, at the time, they only had the bitmap maps, so they wanted vector maps and they wanted turn by turn directions, uh, and Google was holding this over them in exchange for. Allowing Google to get more user identifiable data, like get people to sign into their Google account, and then using the built-in maps in iOS, Google would have you know information about you, you know all of your location searches and stuff like that, which Apple didn't want to give them. Um, And so Apple, because of this, sort of knew that they had to switch to Apple Maps, ready as ready, you know, make it as good as it can. But we need to switch now because our contract is up, and we're at an impasse with Google over getting an extension to use their stuff and to get the stuff that we need, like turn by turn and stuff like that. So it wasn't like Apple collectively thought Apple Maps was just fine. They knew that it was going to be a step backwards. Um, But from what I've heard this from multiple people, but that effectively what, what Eddie Q said is very true, that at a senior executive level, what they saw firsthand using the betas was pretty good. Yeah, it, it really is pretty good, and, and I know depending on where you are as a listener of the show, you really might not believe it. But really, right from the get go, in the Bay Area,
0: it was pretty good. I mean, you, you live there, right? I live there, and and people I, to this day, people will be like, I can't believe you use Apple Maps. I'm like, well, I live, I live an hour from Apple. The maps here are pretty good. <laughs> I mean, right, a, that was never a question. It's everywhere else in the world that it's
1: a question. And you know, this is. a you know obviously this is a very complex story but long story short they what they saw firsthand with the betas was pretty good forstall to the, you know gave them an impression of how good they were worldwide which was you know raise your hand up to here when in fact it was way lower like forstall did and again this is not forstall's side of the story this is what i've heard but that forstall led them to believe that the rest of the data was better than it is not as good as google not as good as it needed to be but that it was better than it would be and that what further infuriated the rest of the executive team was the amount of time that Forstall and his had his team spend on the fancy pants flyover stuff. Right? Remember when they first demoed Apple oh, Maps? Oh yeah. The most and Forstall did the demo, you know, and and as Apple does, you know, who, you know, whoever worked on it and led it is the one who does the demo. It wasn't just like you're randomly assigned to do it. It's like Forstall had spent personally spent a lot of time overseeing Apple Maps, and he spent almost all of his time on stage demoing the fancy pants flyover stuff. Um, and that what I've heard is that the amount of time he spent in the demo on the fancy pants stuff was commensurate with the amount of time his engineering team had spent working on that. And there was, you know. A, a, you know anger that hey we wasted all this time on this flyover stuff and you people you know can't even get a direction from their home to their office it does you know people people are being told to drive you know into a brick wall um and then i have no idea the other thing that you know it's widely reported i can't verify it i don't have first you know don't i unless you get tim cook or forestall to go on the record i don't know how you how you'd get it on the record. But there's that whole story that about the apology letter that Tim Cook ended up signing himself. um, And that supposedly either forestall was supposed to sign it or he was supposed to co-sign it with cook and refused. And if that's Mm. true, I've always thought this, if assuming that that's true, that he was, you know, cook wanted him to either sign it himself instead of him or co-sign it with him. And knowing Tim cook, I wouldn't be surprised if it was co-signed because it doesn't seem, he seems to me like, I know the buck stops here. But when the CEO asks you to sign a letter apologizing for uh, 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 something, your only choices are to sign it or to quit. Yeah. Like the fact that Scott Forstall seemingly, you know, and I've also heard that he was taken by surprise by his eventual ouster later that year. uh, And I've never heard anything to the contrary on that. It's shocking to me that he thought that he was like an indispensable man. You know, and I think, you know, his years, you know, working under Steve Jobs maybe misled him as to his political stature within the company. Because there's I, I don't see how you you know, when the CEO says sign an apology, <laughs> you you can't say no and expect to keep your job.
0: No, that that seems pretty fundamental, right? That yeah. that at that point, you need to own up to this, and, and even if it's just like, "Look, we need to make a message here. We need to we need to explain to the customers that we hear them." And it's almost defiant of like, "No, it's fine," or you know, denial or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, to be at that point, also you could you could argue that maybe that is that is enough stuff had built up with him that maybe this was a like, "Look, you're going to do this. This is this is your mess. You're going to clean it mm. up." And if you refuse that, it's like. Okay, I guess there's no way forward from right. that. There, there's that, that, that's a symptom of a of a bigger problem, right? Yeah. And that, and the only way out apparently was to have him leave.
1: Um. Anyway, I thought so. It was, it was about as interesting and on the record take of that as I've seen.
0: Um, yeah, I, I loved I loved just the line from Q that um that uh, it was good here and we lost perspective and that's one of the reasons we do public betas now is because we yeah. want more perspective and that's that was really. That was really good. Um, that was a that was a that was a good thing to hear. Even though we all kind of expected that, <laughs> yeah. it was good. It was good to hear that they they have you know they've they've learned it and internalized it and changed what they've done because of that lesson yeah. that they had to you know they got beat up for.
1: And overall, I really think Ted Zelley painted an accurate picture of Apple as it currently is—the big giant company that they've you know be, that their success inevitably led them to be, and and you know why it means that they can't really be quote unquote doomed.
0: I agree it's a I think it's a good story um yeah my my quibbles about it are, are yeah are are a lot of kind of just the art of it that I, I feel like he he seems I don't know I'm not a big fan usually of the stories that take 500 words to paint a picture of the smell of the hmm. uh, of the of the food at the restaurant where the interview is being conducted I don't unless unless you're gay to lease, right and <laughs> Mr. Sinatra has a cold um, see that's what I, I like though. I, It's
1: that's exactly that's exactly that is, what he's going right? for right
0: yeah, and it it is, and and if you like that sort of thing, then I think that that it'll work for you. It was never my really my cup of tea, but but the fact is that the 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 Apple executives he talked to were forthcoming about things in a way that is not something we see very often.
1: Man, how about that picture of uh, of Federighi? Man, that handsome. is a meme. What a handsome, handsome meme! S- son of a bitch,
0: he, he's blue stealing it there. <laughs> yeah. That is total. He's going to be uh, yeah, future as a male model. I, have, uh, I haven't seen any memes with it yet, but it's inevitable. Somebody sent me one, and, and, and I think it was in the context of please make more memes with Craig Federighi's, like eyes and what he's you – know, he's staring at you. He's got, and he's got his hand out on the table with a wedding ring. So it's like, sorry, right. ladies.
1: <laughs> Any, I, the other thing about the story that impressed me and I liked was that I really think it serves the per- – I don't know how many people read Fast Company. But for somebody who's not as in tune to Apple as I try to be and certainly as you try to be – As a more of a lay person and someone who might be prone to think like, hey, Apple's, you know, I keep hearing bad stuff about Apple. Maybe they're in trouble. I think it was a very good way of of putting their recent troubles in context of where the company really is. That, That this is a very good company that continues to thrive, that has suffered some recent hiccups, that it is not a company that is in turmoil. And if anything, they're more stable than ever.
0: I agree. I mean, I could even argue that the that the the article gives too much voice to the, you know, the other side of these sort of by discussing some of these really dumb arguments about Apple um, <laughs> that, that they're giving it too much credence yeah. at some point. But I did appreciate that that he takes the time to bat them all bat them all down and say, these are ridiculous arguments. And yeah, yeah, you might read about it at fortune, but that doesn't mean that it's real. And I think for a, for a, an audience, a broader audience that, that doesn't read the Macalope or anything yeah. like that, right. They're, they're going to go, uh, come out away from this thinking, oh, I see now I understand more about wh- what Apple's trying to do and not that they're, they're, you know, their sales are plummeting and yeah. it's a disaster and they're doomed. And, and, uh, I, I value that story for, for doing it and being so nuanced about it.
1: Uh, I know you got to go. I know that we've been going on a long time. Just uh, briefly, have you been, have you been watching any Olympics?
0: Yeah, so, I've been I've been I've been trying to. I mean, you, how are you, you watching? It's not, them? it's not humanly possible to watch the Olympics in all its places because there's like six thousand. It would take a human being who didn't sleep like eight months to watch all the Olympics stuff that's being made available on TV. And I've had the I've had the primetime NBC on um, in, in the evening, we haven't been watching a lot of other TV instead. We've been, you know, kind of having that on while we're looking at stuff on the internet and and sort of tuning, you know, swimming and volleyball and whatever. And then I've done some stuff with the, with the Apple TV streams and with, uh, on, on my iPad too, a little bit, which is the great thing about having everything available on video on the iPad or the Apple TV or, or on the web is you can pick a, a sport like, if you want to yeah, see yeah. table tennis or rugby or whatever, you know, they some of those may be on cable, but all of them have a feed on I, the internet.
1: I just can't help but think the, the, the app is so bad. It, it's so the app is comically bad. bad that I can't, really can't help but think that it was designed by people who really want you to watch on regular TV. <laughs> that,
0: that's I, that's it, a pretty good thing. Given, given the fact that literally every item on the Apple TV says Olympic sports. <laughs> Like that's their <laughs> level one header of every single item is Olympic sports. So you've got like 20 items that just say Olympic sports re- instead of what the sport is. It's like what I don't even know what I is really can't. There.
1: It's not a new feature. I really can't believe that the iPad app doesn't support split screen view. Or the picture-in-picture.
0: Yeah. Like, well, as a, I, I'm a, I, I watch soccer. I watch like English Premier League soccer, and they have all those games on there too. And it's, it, it's been like this. I think it's because they're doing a custom video player so that they can do their ad insertions, and yeah. they want to stick a banner, a banner ad on the screen next to their video and stuff like that. So they're, they're basically motivated to not do picture-in-picture, and it drives me crazy because what I want to do is pop it in picture-in-picture and do other stuff on yes, my iPad, and it, just, which is the whole point
1: of the feature. And I it was exactly, I wanted to watch. The the US men play Australia it was a good basketball game yesterday Yeah. and i thought this is a perfect reason i'm going to be the, the like the kids today i'm going to work on my ipad and this will be great except, <laughs> except it doesn't support any of those features nope oh it makes you yeah. crazy
0: yeah it's i i think you know they've come a long way from the you know from the pay-per-view triple cast and all of that and and i feel like comcast actually now that they're running the show at nbc they're more they're more open, like they're running, I don't know if you noticed this, they're actually running sports in primetime yeah. on cable channels, which they used to not do. Like right. when it was on in primetime on NBC, everything else went dark. It's like, right. everybody very quiet now, we're going to watch Bob Costas. <laughs> and and they, they're playing with that now. And they've got this gold zone channel, which is like the NFL red zone, where you can theoretically just turn it on and it will just whip you around to all of the different venues and show you different stuff that's going on live, which is a really cool idea. So I feel like in the end, maybe the Olympics is better going to be best when it's completely non-linear yeah. and that all the only thing that we have that's linear is a best of the day recap which is the three hours in NBC prime time yeah. it, it, it I think that may be the ultimate destination of the Olympics and it I think it was obvious that that was the ultimate destination maybe like 12 years ago but it it's taken till now for maybe for Comcast and NBC to realize it's yeah. the obvious destination it, it
1: it's just so frustrating because it's obviously not for a lack of money this is a multi-billion dollar operation so it and and it just screams for it it is like in the old days before the internet it trying to cover all of these sports from all of these countries on a tv channel it was impossible whereas the internet this is the perfect solution you can watch your favorite sport and you can see your country you know it it, (laughs) it's so poorly done oh it makes me frustrated
0: I feel like I, I'm actually a little optimistic now because I feel like they've got the pieces in place now, and that maybe they even realize where they're where where they need to head. head yeah. Ultimately, there are always going to be issues. People get frustrated by it. It's like they they spend billions of dollars for this, so they're going to be ads, and yeah. they're going to have stuff that's behind behind a cable login because it's Comcast. Right. They spend a lot of money. They're going to get their money back one way or another. They're going to they're going to make their money back. But I feel like now they are headed in the right direction where this Mm -hmm. could actually be good maybe in two or four years Mm -hmm. where they like fully embrace the internet especially if there's an olympics i don't know what the next olympics is but when when there's one that's completely off time zones from the united states yeah i feel like i feel like then they're really going to be able to embrace it because they're going to have to because you know nobody's gonna nobody's gonna want to the prime time stuff's going to be not live at all well it's going back to china soon so maybe then um
1: Anyway, I, I will say one good thing about being a Comcast customer and I think it I think this is what happened. When I did authenticate with the app um for my cable subscription, I didn't have to sign in with a username or password. I think that Comcast somehow figured out, you know, that I'm, you know, they could tell I'm on a Comcast network and they're yeah. like, good enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. And that, that was that was good because sometimes the authentication thing is the is the most broken, yeah. especially at high at high times where everybody's trying to log in. Yeah. Those things tend to break. So, I think yeah, it looks and says you're on a Comcast IP. Yeah. Good enough. Uh, hey, I want to
1: say congratulations. You, your uh, Upgrade podcast, I've, the one I just mentioned listening to, is episode 101. You guys hit 100 episodes on Upgrade, you and Mike Hurley. So that means two years you've been uh, going indie.
0: And in binary, what is 101? Uh, It's five. <laughs> it's five. I couldn't believe it. I'm, yeah, I'm really bad. I'm really bad. I I could work it out, right? Like one and then one zero is, and I was like, oh yeah, that's five. Okay. Got it. But no, thank you. Um, yeah, it's coming up. You do a podcast every, every week and it it totals up to, it's almost, the reason I know that September 9th is when they did the event, uh, not just last year, but the year before is because that was basically my last day at Macworld was was September 9th, uh, of, uh, fourteen. So it's been almost almost two years now of of doing this, which is, it's been great. Like, you know, I I, I think I've said this before, but y- you are obviously an inspiration for me to go out and, and try to do this on my own. And I ha- I've i got, you know, I've got two kids that are gonna be headed off to college in the next few years. And I'm, I'm, I live in the Bay Area, which is a very expensive place to live. And my wife doesn't have a full-time job and it was very stressful, but we have managed to make it work uh, for two years. And my wife was just saying to me the other day, Um, you know, I, I was very much in the, let's give it six months mode, she said (laughs) when we started this and now she's kind of out of that mode and like, it's working, which is great. And you know, you never know what's going to happen. And and you, you know, better than anyone, you got to watch everything and keep in mind, like, what if this happens and what if that happens, but it's been great that I've been able to actually live my life and do stuff that I love, which I kind of wasn't doing at the end at my old job.
1: I know that feeling. Um, yeah, you got it. You know, I I when I went full time on During Fireball, I I don't even think I was doing a podcast yet. And if if I was, those like the whole first run of this show with Dan Benjamin, we didn't we never had a single sponsor. We did, we sure kind of put some feelers out, and people were like podcast. So we just like <laughs> well let's we'll just do it for fun. You know, what I mean, like, I mean, literally, uh, I guess we lost money on this show because you know we you know whatever we paid for web hosting and and i think like amazon storage you know right i never when i went full-time on daring fireball the idea that i'd be uh, 50 percent of my income would be from
0: podcasting wasn't even i didn't even think it was
1: possible i didn't even think i was good at it
0: (laughs) i don't not sure i am but it's it's, well nobody knows what makes a good podcast even now they don't but you're right. right i i didn't even i mean even two years ago I didn't, when I left, all of my calculations were, can I, can I do a site that became six colors and can I do freelance writing and can I make that work? Uh, even then, and maybe a little from The Incomparable, right. but even then I wasn't really counting on what if I did some other podcasts yeah. with Relay and throw those into the pot. And now, yeah, it, it's it's a, I don't know if it's 50-50, but it's certainly a, a huge part. If I stopped podcasting, um, I would not be able to speak with as much confidence about yeah. making it work as I can because I'm also doing podcasting.
1: Yeah, um, My thanks also, so my thanks to you. Uh, upgrade, people can just uh, just Google for upgrade.
0: upgrade yeah, relay.fm. Relay.fm, and you'll
1: find it there. And there's a whole bunch of other podcasts. There. And of course, you've got like 30 podcasts at the in- Incomparable.
0: And yeah, there's a lot of them. I'm not on most of them, thankfully, but yes, there are a lot of them there.
1: And, you know, home base, let's face it, I don't care how much time we spend podcasting, we're writers. And yep. you do your writing primarily. And if you don't, if you do it elsewhere, you always link it up. It's six colors. Uh, Dot, net, dot com dot com dot dot,
0: dot something dot, yeah dot and you
1: can spell colors however
0: you want yeah you can put the u in there it redirects
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, my thanks also to our three sponsors today eero the great wi-fi go there and get your wi-fi fixed in your house fracture get your pictures paint printed directly on glass and global delight who has the new boom ios app that you can download for free just go get it and try it for free thank you jason
0: thanks john it's always a pleasure